Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Sweeter Coles. And welcome to the Minimalists Unplugged, where we talk about the Minimalists' dumb ideas and their dumb listeners. Joshua, thoughts? Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it I'm not going to do a take two on that. Let's just no, keep dude. We got to do a take keep two. Rolling. You're no. such a jerk. <laughs> we got to just keep going. Uh, <laughs> that that other voice you hear over there is not Sweeter Coles. It is Ryan Nicodemus, and uh, <laughs> I don't well, know who snuck into the room. <laughs> welcome to the Minimalist Podcast. Um, did I already say where we? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, this is episode number eighty-two, and we're going to talk about uh, hoarding today. And uh, I'm glad you brought some levity to the situation because I'm, uh, I figured I'd get started. You know, it was interesting this, this past weekend. I got kind of sick. I at first, I didn't know if it was allergies or flu or what, but like, you know, all of a sudden my eyes are like red and puffy and I started like... You don't look super healthy right now, man. <laughs> <laughs> man, I've like clawed my eyes out over the weekend and... Um, my my throat was sore and it was just crazy allergy season. Anyway, uh, I was going outside to take out the trash on uh, Sunday night, and throughout the weekend, you know, there's that hoarder's house that's directly. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's just like the 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 road is some sort of metaphor for dividing minimalism and hoarders, right? Yeah. And and so that hoarder's house that's across the street from from uh, my house, it they were doing some like. I guess clearing out of the clutter and um, you know, it's, oh it's, wow! It's like a, they started. Well, it's an old old lady who who lives over there. Dude, you've been you've been slipping them subtle notes, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every day I just write something um, that is uh, you know it's passive aggressive. <laughs> I like, would love wow, I would love nice to- nice curtains. <laughs> I would love to spy on you, but it's nearly impossible with all that junk in your windows. <laughs> right. But anyway, I so. They over the whole weekend, and to me, this was like an interesting metaphor almost, um, or at least an analogy for our own lives. Um, and, and by the way, when we talk about hoarding, let me just step back for a second. When we talk about hoarding, I really think there are, are two different types of, of hoarders. I think most of us are hoarders in the sort of uh, non clinical sense. We, uh, the, the human condition or the primate condition is to, to hoard things, right? You know, we've, in the past, we've talked about how there are the, the chimpanzee studies where if you give a chimpanzee an abundance of bananas, their, their, their first uh, desire is to, is to try to hold on to those and fight other chimpanzees off so they can't have any of their bananas. They hoard the bananas. Although if you give them just enough, then they have enough. If you give them just a little bit more than just enough, they tend to share it. It's when hmm. they get that hoard that they can't stop uh, holding on to that hoard, and they want more and more and more, and they, they're greedily holding on to the thing. So even chimpanzees will fall victim to uh, finding 
you know, a perceived value in a pile of bananas that eventually will go rotten anyway. Exactly. And that's where I was going with the hoarders across the street. Or so, uh, and by the way, this isn't my, my judgment uh, of the people across the street, but I think there are two types of hoarders. There are the, the sort of severe hoarders. Uh, the, the person across the street is the prime example of that. And then there are pack rats, you know, the, the average person. And whether you're a well-organized pack rat like I was back in my 20s, you know, the average American household has 300,000 items in it. Most of us are pack rats in, to some extent, or at least we have the tendencies to want to hold on to things sure. that aren't serving a purpose in our lives anymore. And then the question becomes like, where does that line get blurred? And so in a moment, I, I want to read this article from uh, Psychology Today. I want to talk about some of the psychology be behind hoarding. But I, I'm looking at the, uh, the lady across the street in her house, and they're cleaning it out, and it's probably 50 years worth of hoarding. I mean, you, you've seen it. The, the boxes and boxes and boxes stacked yeah, up in front of the windows, crazy, right? crazy, man. And you just you, you said something that, that was spot on, that the chimpanzees want to hold on to these things are going to become rotten over time. And so because there's 50 years worth of, of hoarding, or maybe even more than that, right, many of the things in the house have become unhealthy or rotten. And so mm. there's just mountains. I, uh, I, th th that's obviously a slight exaggeration, but there are, are huge piles of trash outside their house right now uh, on the curb waiting to be picked up because these things are no longer useful. They've molded or they've broken or they're just disgusting. I'm right? so happy to hear that they have started clearing out the clutter, man. Yeah, well, they, they have some people over that are that are helping them out with it, and I, I, I'm really happy to hear that too, but it's... It's interesting because what we don't realize, if we don't let go of some of the stuff now, it's going to become useless later, right? And so how do we, how do we deal with parting with these things right now so that we're not hoarding it for 50 years and we just have to throw it out? At some point in time, there's some threshold that we cross, it becomes trash. Mm -hmm. And as opposed to letting, if I let go now, maybe someone else can find value in those things because all those oh, bags yeah. that are piled up on the street just like the bananas with the chimpanzees. If they're willing to let go of those bananas, the other chimps can eat them. Instead, they're fighting them off and saying, I'll kill you if you try to eat my bananas. And then the bananas go bad, and they all suffer as a result. Hmm. Sometimes our stuff goes bad. That's a hell of a metaphor, man. And, 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 it, and it loses its usefulness. And so, Ryan, I've got this article here from Psychology Today, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. It's called, When Does Clutter Turn to Hoarding? Are you going to read it in your James Earl Jones voice? <laughs> I didn't bring it with me. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's read it and we'll, we'll interrupt throughout and we'll, you can interject and we can sort of talk about some of the things in, in this article. Recently, the phenomenon known as hoarding has come into greater public awareness, propelled by graphic scenes on television showing homes crammed floor to ceiling with an astonishing amount of stuff. A&E's Hoarders is now on its sixth season, proving not only that hoarding is a relatively widespread affliction, but that the American public is mesmerized and fascinated by the disorder. That's true, right? Like I think yeah. any any extreme we start to get fascinated by, at least. And for me, the reason I get fascinated fascinated by it is I think about man, how many steps away was I from from that crazy amount of hoarding as opposed to being a pack rat? When, as the the subtitle of this article is, when does clutter, which I certainly had clutter, it was well organized clutter, but it was still clutter. When does clutter turn into hoarding? You know, it's funny. I don't ever think. I, I don't guess I would like label myself a hoarder, maybe a well-organized hoarder, but like everything had its place. Mm -hmm. But I remember 
but like papers piling up and like, you know, having that seventh junk drawer. Right. And um, it's a type of the hoarding, boxes though. that are sitting in, you know, the the upstairs closet that it, it is an absolute. Do you feel like it's like, it's like micro hoarder. hoarding in a way? A junk drawer is is oh, just yeah. a smaller hoard of stuff. Right. Yeah. But it's funny because um, the other thing I thought, too, is why you were saying, you know, people get mesmerized by it. Uh, I found myself not being mesmerized as much as like calloused mm. to it, meaning, you know, it was like, oh, I'll clean that up this weekend. And then the weekend came and I'm like, well, you know, I worked really hard this week and still had to work on the weekends anyway, but maybe like not the, you know, 12 hour a day. Right. Uh, not every single, you know, Saturday or Sunday. But anyway, yeah, like if I did have a day off uh, or had a half of a day off to where I could work on that clutter I was like, no, no, I I worked really hard. I deserve to just like sit and veg Mm -hmm. and drink some beers and play some video games, whatever it was that I pacified myself with. And I found myself, again, like getting calloused to the clutter. Um, I don't know if you remember. Almost like when you say calloused, I mean, it's almost like you're building up a uh, A tolerance, tolerance, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, like building up a tolerance to the clutter. I don't know if you remember, there was a girl I was dating who um, it was your ex-wife's friend, uh-huh. and she was, remember her saying, she said something to Carrie or you about, you know, yeah, Ryan's a really nice guy, but he's got, like, papers everywhere. <laughs> like, they're just, like, stacks of papers. <laughs> and it, I don't even know what the heck they were, man. Like, probably college notes and bills, or not not bills, but, uh, like, bill receipts. You yeah. Know? Like, oh, you know, you pay a bill, and then, like, I would keep it for my records. I don't even know why I would do that. Like, right, totally what, what a lesson but, there, right? Because yeah. The lesson is, like, I'll deal with this someday, and then we constantly put it off, and to the point where dealing with it becomes much more difficult when you have a mountain of paperwork to deal with than if you have, you're dealing with it one receipt at a time or one piece of paper at a time. And, in fact, that leads to this next line here in the article. It says, in fact, the International OCD Foundation... <laughs> one, two, three. <laughs> so, so for those of you who've been listening for a while, you know that I'm the OCD uh, half of the duo. Ryan is the ADD half of the duo. Uh, anyway, the OCD Foundation estimates that one in every 50 people struggle with severe hoarding. So that's the people across oh, the street. Wow. So, so think about it this way. We have, we have the, the hoarders and then we have severe hoarders. And I would say to some extent, we're all hoarders and we have the tendency to hoard. It's in our DNA, like the chimpanzees. Yeah. But then there are, so, so we all have to deal with hoarding, but then there's the severe hoarding. The, the, and, and there's some flip, uh, some switch that gets flipped. Is that right? Yeah, switch that gets flipped. I was going to say flip that gets switched, but that's, that's something different. Anyway. <laughs> Just um, go with it. That's what I do. And, and, people know what you're trying to say. <laughs> anyway, one in 50 people suffer from severe hoarding. Wow, that is... I don't know why that seems staggeringly high to me. It really does. It's 2% of people, right? Yeah. And so think about you, run, you You come across 50 people today. One of them is a severe mm. hoarder. So uh, continuing the article here, shocking visuals on programs such as hoarders and TLC's hoarding buried alive show safety personal... Uh, pers- safety personnel in hazmat suits scoping out all manner of uh, of garbage while... The distraught hoarder pleads that every last bit of it is necessary. At times, a home is filled with so many pets that they have become unclean, uncared for, and often ill. I mean, that's one thing. One commonality you'll see amongst people with severe OCD or severe hoarding is a lot of time there, there's just a lot of pets. You know, we remember uh, 
the town we went to high school in, there was the chicken lady, and she had. I don't, oh yeah. I, I, I don't know why. I mean, I, she had some chickens in her house, but she had so many cats as well. It was like uh, that you was. You could smell her house from the street. You really could. Yeah. Like, from you're walking down the sidewalk, and it's it's a good distance. There's a big yard in front of it. It was a really nice house. In fact, the people who own it now turned it into something it's gorgeous. Now, yeah. And, and uh, but you you would walk past it, and that was really my first experience with that kind of hoarding, with the the severe hoarding side of things. Anyway, um, uh, the hoarder pleads that every little last bit is necessary at times. The home is filled with so many pets, blah, 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 blah. Uh, their compulsive hoarding causes their mental, emotional, physical, and financial health to dwindle. And most mm. tragically, the hoarders' relationships unravel as their families and friends struggle to cope. Hoard- wow. That, that just made me think for a second. Let's stop for a second. That made me think that someone who is... Because there are legit hoarders listening to this right now. That Maybe they fall into that 2% category. Uh, yeah, I would actually argue that there's a percentage of our audience, it's higher than 2% are yeah, hoarders. Yeah, because they're looking, but I could see that. They're, yeah. they're looking for help. Yeah, so, well, first off, there is no, like Josh said, there is no judgment here. No. Um, I, I guess I'm just trying to help just one of those hoarders to look at their pile and look at those stacks of magazines and newspapers and clothes and whatever else mm-hmm. is like really, really making them feel weighed down. Right. It is literally killing them. It's literally. like a, it's like a cancer that they feed. And it's hard to see that at the time. It, it, right? is, it absolutely is. But I mean, just talking about how it, you know, their mental, physical, which I mean, that will turn into physical eventually, uh, and then the financial health. But it is a, it, it's a. Uh, you know, metaphorical cancer, obviously. Well, r- yes. So, so if I was to tell, and I just want again, like an audience, you know, one of our audience uh, listeners, like to, to to think for a second, like if I was to tell a hoarder, hey, you've got this tumor in your in your uh, left index finger, mm-hmm. and we've got to cut it off so it doesn't spread. They probably would be like, okay, let's do that. They right. probably wouldn't be like, no, 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 I'm gonna leave that <laughs> that index finger. Man, we go way back. <laughs> um, Didn't isn't this how Bob Marley died? It is. He had toe cancer. That's, he refused to cut off the toe. Oh, that's right, he did. So, I, I, I mean, that kind of supports the metaphor. How silly. Yeah. That he was refusing to cut off the toe, and. You know, I, I guess, again, I'm just trying to like shift the perspective a little bit of at least one person out there to say like your horde, it is, it's a cancer that you're feeding. Mm-hmm. And if you had a cancer in your left index finger, would you cut it off or would you just continue to feed it? Um, I also wonder too, like the chicken lady, well, maybe not the chicken lady because she was like legitimately, I mean, she was manic. She was schizophrenic. She but- was in the, she was in the streets, um, yeah, she, she was schizophrenic, and we'll actually get to yeah, that. Yeah, she was in, in the streets directing traffic. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get. So to maybe this. not the chicken. Yeah, maybe not the chicken lady, but like, no, 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 no. That's actually a perfect example. That that can often be what it leads to. I'm not saying that it's causation. It may just be correlation. Oh yeah. But but quite often it exacerbates these these physical and mental conditions that we're predisposed to. Hey, I, I have uh, my family. My, my father was schizophrenic, and he had elaborate relationships with people who didn't live in the real world. 
um, and ended up drinking himself to death. Mm. And uh, one of his his sons, I have five half siblings that I don't know really well, but but um, so it can be hereditary in some way. One of my half brothers, he was schizophrenic and killed himself when he was wow. about thirty two years old. Yeah, and and, and so wow. part of it is you realizing that yes, maybe it's genetic, but we can many times deal with those things because we're willing to deal with the environment around us. Yeah. I guess like going back to what you were just reading, the hoarder who has every little thing that they have a memory associated with and somehow like they have to hold on to it. If they left their house and their house caught fire and everything burned to the ground, mm. do you think there would be any relief or do you think that they would like die of uh, the loss of those physical items. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously I think, you're going to get different answers from different hoarders. Yeah, I but. think it has to do with the, with the perspective. I think yeah. some people, you know, we have people come up to us at our events uh, when, when we're out on tour and they'll be like, hey, it's, you know, it's, it's rare, but it'll happen. Hey, my house just burned down or, you know, something happened. My storage locker elapsed and they took all the stuff out of it and I didn't even realize until a month after the fact because I had changed my phone number or whatever. And all of a sudden, you can tell there's like a little bit of panic, a little bit of grief, a little mm. bit of lamenting of uh, this stuff. But then there's, there's also, there's also this, this relief. And I'll often say... It, when someone says my house burned down, I'll often say congratulations. Yeah, because it means you are forced into a new start. As a and and the good news is that pretty much anyone can force themselves into a new start. Now you don't have to wait for the house to to burn down to deal with that stuff. Well, yeah, we're not encouraging anyone to burn down their house. <laughs> no, <laughs> there's uh, yeah. If, if you take away one thing, I hope it's not to burn down your house. <laughs> anyway, hoarding is considered an offshoot of obsessive compulsive disorder (OCD), but recently this categorization is being reevaluated. It's estimated that about one in four people with OCD are also compulsive hoarders. Now, I have OCD. I don't. I don't know that I was necessarily a compulsive hoarder i was probably borderline and i'll tell you what i don't think if i i think if, if i wouldn't have started dealing with my my stuff it was well organized it looked very tidy dude you had the most organized blue plastic blue tub blue bin system i'd ever seen it was, i remember going to the store with you multiple because you'd run out of bins uh-huh and then we'd go to walmart and get more bins my solution wasn't to to get rid of the stuff it was to get more bins <laughs> what a bad plan oh, right oh man can you think about it? I didn't like, even see anything wrong with it. I was like, Josh's got a nice house. <laughs> I mean, it, there was, like, it didn't interfere with our ping pong games. It was a ama- it, it was it was about to though. Yeah. Like, there was a maze was, of yeah. bins down there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, it was just uh, you know, a teeming teeming with stuff, right? And so uh, one in four people uh, with OCD are compulsive hoarders. It is possible that sometime in the future, hoarding will become its own distinct category. In the meantime, it's very real, and more and more people are opening up about the difficulty hoarding presents in their lives. Without exception, hoarding is always accompanied by varying levels of anxiety and sometimes develops alongside other mental illnesses such as dementia, and schizophrenia. Oh. So, so back to the schizophrenia thing. So, um, yeah, it certainly runs in, in my family. Uh, I'm I'm thankful to to not have it and not have any signs of it. But um, I also know that that the hoarding, holding on to stuff, can actually exacerbate the mental illness that we have. So, so we think that we're bringing comfort into our lives and trying to stave off some of our our own Ill- illnesses. But we're adding to the problem. We're we're literally heaping hordes of stuff onto the problem. Wow! Uh, recent neuroimaging reveals 
peculiar commonalities among hoarders, including severe emotional attachment to inanimate objects and extreme anxiety when making decisions. So think about this. If you have anxiety when you're making decisions and you have a lot of stuff, or if you have uh, emotional attachment to inanimate objects, I tell tell you what, that describes most people. Most of us have emotional attachment to inanimate objects. I mean, Dude, I was, it's, it's still hard for me to throw away, like, concert tickets. Mm. So if it was, like, a really good concert, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to say it's really hard for me, but, like, my impulse is to hold on to them. I think everyone, yeah. yeah not really hard, but you, ha- you have that impulse. Right. And like I said, it's in your DNA. And, and so the question is, you, I don't think you've developed an emotional attachment to those concert tickets no, anymore. No, no, no. But you have that, that little initial twinge of, should I keep this? Or I should definitely keep this. Or, or I remember the concert better if I have these tickets. Right. As if you're going to start scrapbooking or something, right? <laughs> uh, and, and so, uh, the uh, minimalist scrapbook.com. <laughs> Someone just that. bought that. on Yeah, Good I know, Daddy. right? <laughs> Damn it. You know, Sean's over there writing it down. <laughs> he, he's like registering all these domains. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's see here. Hoarding both relieves anxiety and produces it. Think about that for a second. Think about that uh, paradox. Hoarding relieves anxiety and produces it. The more hoarders accumulate, I would ar- wait, sorry, I would argue though that it is a short it's a short-term relief, it's a long-term addition. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like smoking, right? Like right. well, I'm I'm going to get this this instant feeling of of pleasure and, and of Give course myself the, cancer. the long-term results. But it's yeah. it, when you were talking about cancer earlier, the first thing I thought about was smoking. The reason that, that dealing with hoarding is so difficult is because we don't see that it, it becomes a a mental cancer or a financial cancer in some way it, because that's what? That's somewhere down the road in the hypothetical future. Mm. It's 5, 10, 20 years down the road. And the same thing with smoking. I'm not going to get cancer. I mean, can you imagine if you were to smoke one cigarette right now and it would give you some form of cancer? Ugh. No one would do it, right? Yeah, I couldn't even uh, imagine smoking a half a cigarette right now. Yeah, it's it, so gross. Yeah, and so <laughs> so I, I think that because the, the, the delayed, it, it's not delayed gratification, it's de- delayed... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, d- d- delayed negative effects. Oh of, yeah, yeah. Uh, of of hoarding. You, you get, yeah, you, of yeah. accumulation. Yeah, you get a short term relief, but yeah, because the man we were. I forget what. Oh, you were like quoting Matthew out of the Bible or something. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go like Old Testament. Um, where I think it was like Daniel or and it doesn't matter, man. The whole thing was is uh, there's like this um verse that talks about how the doom of, and I'm totally paraphrasing this, but it's something about like the doom of man is the fact that their punishment is too far off to see. Uh-huh. So they don't, they don't worry about it essentially. But I mean, it's just, I mean, another metaphor for yeah. what we're talking about with, with someone smoking, getting instant gratification, the hoarder who is getting the instant gratification because they put that, you know, the next day's newspaper on top of their, their stack of newspapers. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, yeah, it's, it's hard for them to see the long-term effects that it's having on their health. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, just to be clear for those of you listening to this, uh, we, Ryan and I both have different religious beliefs, so we're not, we're not, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're not n- proselytizing. No, no. I just, no, I was raised Jehovah's Witness, as most people know. And like, yeah. I just know the Bible, like the back of my hand and dude, some good lessons in there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> dude, I was watching Zach Galifianakis's, uh, the Purple Onion. Oh my! If if no one has seen that, like you got to watch it. It's so freaking funny. It's on Netflix. Um, but there's a point where he, he's like, he does these like Mitch Hepburg, like really short jokes. But he says sometimes I just I just read the Bible. I act like I'm reading the Bible in public, 
and I just sit there and I'll turn the pages and I'll go, Psh, oh, bullshit, <laughs> just to see people's reactions. <laughs> but that's how I feel sometimes when I, when I read some of the Bible. But anyway. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see here. Um, where did I leave off? Schizophrenia, neuroimaging. I'm going to derail this. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. This is perfect. Uh, uh, hoarding both relieves anxiety and produces it. The more hoarders accumulate, the more insulated they feel from the world and its dangers. Of course, the more they accumulate, the more isolated they become from the world, including from family and friends. Even the thought of discarding or cleaning out hoarded items produces extreme feelings of panic and discomfort. It can be difficult to determine whether someone is a hoarder or just a pack rat, Mm. Someone who just likes to hang on to things. Now, like here, to talk about what that where that line is. Yeah, I I, I don't know where it is really. I mean, I'm not a hoarder. I'm just a pack rat. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> I'm not fat. I'm just fluffy. You open up their closet just full of cheese. <laughs> I remember I was fat growing up. My mom used to tell me I wasn't fat. I was fluffy. Oh. <laughs> well, dude, with your mullet, I did have a mullet. <laughs> yeah, but it was fluffy. <laughs> my hair was fluffy, but. My my cheeks were fat, and Dude, so was my gut. Have you have you posted that picture on Instagram yet of you and your mom? Remember, your godmother showed up to our. No, I have the envelope. So so my godmother. We were in Chicago on the Less Is Now tour. Uh, we're in the middle of this tour right now. By the way, we're we're just back in in Montana for a couple weeks, and uh, we are we are on tour right now. Ahead of the forty cities this year. If you want to find your city, it's just at lessisnow.com. Anyway, we were at Chicago, and my godmother showed up, and I haven't seen her, um, man, since my mom's funeral, I don't think. Anyway, she showed up with an envelope full of pictures, and there was one of me and my, my mom. It was you like were a, sport, Dude, you were the... I've never seen a kid happier with a mullet. Dude, it, I, I, it was a glamour shot, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to like. I don't want to spoil it. How does that make it less embarrassing <laughs> if I were to leave that out? No, I was just hoping that maybe you would like put it on Instagram. <laughs> and then it would be all right. You know what? I, I I will. I have to download the Instagram app again specs? in order to do yeah. that. But uh, I will do that eventually. If you want to follow me on Instagram, I'll do it as like a a, a throwback Thursday or something. I'm at Joshua Fields Milburn on on Instagram. Oh my God. Uh, anyway, it's so great. Where, where did we leave that off? Uh, oh yeah. Uh, feelings of panic and discomfort. It can be difficult to determine whether someone is a hoarder or just a pack rat. Uh, the main determiner of whether a behavior is just a personal preference or a disorder usually has to do with whether or not and how much that behavior has begun to negatively impact daily functioning. Here are and that's a weird thing, right? Because Dude, it's like an alcoholic, right? Or exactly. It's it, like a, I mean, perfect it, analogy. And they do have like these guidelines. Do you want to drink in the morning? Do you drink in the morning? Do you hide it from your friends and family? Mm-hmm. It's like no. If you drink, you're an alcoholic. Right. If you have one beer a week, you're an alcoholic. You can be. I mean, it's weird. Well, no, no. I mean, the definition is you know, alcoholic is someone who drinks alcohol. Like well, that. well, I mean, the, the, the uh, what is the, the physician, physician's desk reference, the, the PDR, I think it says, uh, at least my doctor was sharing this with me, so, so someone else can correct me on this, but um, if you have uh, two drinks or more four times per week, then you are a textbook alcoholic. Okay, I mean, but, but that's my point, though, is uh, so that's where a physician has drawn the line. Right. But... And I'm going off of like high school health class, right. where I, the health the health teacher was going over the textbook definition, and she's like, "But if you drink one drink, 
you're drinking alcohol. You are an alcoholic. Yeah, I don't know about I mean, if, if I agree with that. I mean, but. yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is I know, that. Because I know people like my mom was certainly alcoholic. My father was an alcoholic. Bex drinks. My, my partner, Rebecca, she, she drinks, you know, one or two times a week. And she she doesn't have an addictive bone in her body, and she's not pre predisposed to addiction. But I guess what I'm saying is 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 that the even the addiction doesn't classify it. And I, I, yeah, I guess that's where we're going to differ. But and I'm not I'm not trying to sit here and say Bex is an alcoholic. I'm just saying that it's like where do you draw that line? And, right. and, and a physician's textbook definition. I mean, for me, that's a really stupid line to follow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think it's, it's a guideline and we, sure. we have to determine what's right for us. And for someone like, like Bex and, and she does all kinds of like, she does this uh, 23 day reset that she does with, with her client stuff. And she'll do things like not drink at all during that. And it doesn't yeah. mean that she has any problem with drinking, but she'll say, what is my peak state? And if my peak state is without alcohol, then of course I should abstain from that altogether. So, right? oh, yeah. And I guess it depends on the society you live in too. Because if you have one drink a week or three, whatever it is, if you one drink a week, uh, you go to Iran, you're an alcoholic. Mm. They're going to kill you, or, or they're going to find yeah, you, or they're going to put you in jail for having one drink a week. You're not an alcoholic. You go to Russia. Though. You go to Russia, and they just literally, like, uh, within the last, uh, it was within the last like two, two, three years. Uh huh. They made beer alcohol. Like you used to be able to, it was like a soda. Right. So, right. I mean, it just, I mean, it's, I guess society has a lot, the society that you live in has a lot to do with it too. It, it does, but I think also it has to do with the individual. It, it, there are, sure. there are people who can try heroin and never get addicted to it, right? Um, I mean, there, there's no question about that. There, there, there's plenty of evidence and research out there to show that. Um, there are some people who, who can try heroin once or twice in their life and they don't get addicted. If I know that if I try any sort of opiate, I'm going to get addicted to it. I know if I, the reason I don't drink, the reason I, I've never smoked or anything like that is because I have such an addictive personality. I know that if I, if, if I were to try some wine tonight, you probably just wouldn't ever see me again. Yeah. Um, I, because I, I don't necessarily have the, well, I don't want to have to develop the musculature to like uh, drink in moderation. And so I also don't want to hoard in moderation either. Right. right. And so I, I've had to develop the, the sort of mental musculature to, to deal with with my own stuff as well. And so uh, it, it says here, uh, uh, um, whether or not and how much the behavior has begun to negatively impact daily functioning. And so I think that's the same thing with alcohol. It's sure. like, is the alcohol impacting your daily functioning? But then- what, Are you losing friends? Yeah. It, Does your family not come over as much? Are you losing your job? Well, well, and we'll, go, we'll job? go through yeah. some of these things here, but, but think about this for a second. What does that even mean? Does it impact or affect or influence? Because- yeah, even if it doesn't mean you lose friends, maybe the quality of your sleep is it degrades a little bit, yeah. or or maybe the quality of your thoughts degrade a little bit. You know, whether it's alcohol or, or or stuff or whatever it may be, and and so here are some generally recognized symptoms of hoarding from the Mayo Clinic: cluttered living spaces. Wait a minute. So, so, so think about this for a second. If you have a cluttered living space, does it mean you're a hoarder? No, not necessarily, but it is a potential symptom of hoarding, you right? You might be a hoarder. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, next one is inability to discard items, right? And so maybe you're holding... So here's an example. Like I have this water bottle I'm holding onto here in front of me. I use it here every single week um, and it does add value to my life. I, I use it quite a bit, but... Could I discard it? Like, say I got a new bottle for whatever reason? 
Yeah, I wouldn't have any problem. It's a tool. It serves a function. I, I would don't take have that any- out of the trash and sell it on eBay. <laughs> this is Josh Milburn's water bottle. Do you have any idea how many things I have of yours that you've thrown out that I'm selling on eBay right now? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Keep uh, let's going. see keeping here you were talking about this one earlier keeping stacks of newspapers magazines or junk mail uh move dude you definitely uh, had stacks of magazines oh my god you know what's funny I had is, a library of magazines in you, my basement yeah like you because you held on to like every like esquire and gq mm-hmm. i started to do that mm-hmm because I was like, oh, yeah, like it'd be good for reference. Oh, my God. Do you know how many times I referenced those magazines that I held on to? Zero. Yeah. I, I take it back. Maybe like once or twice. And it wasn't even referencing as much as it was, oh, what was that album that that one issue had in it? Or, you know, whatever it may be. Right. Uh, but it definitely added more clutter than it did value for sure. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And so, so think about that. Like we, we hold, hold on to these things and then the hoarding becomes contagious. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Think about Josh is all the cool kids are doing it. I should do it. Well, think about this for a second. Like so so the opposite side of things, when you start getting rid of a bunch of stuff, the the first thing that people start asking you is, Are you okay? Is everything okay? Are you gonna kill yourself? Yeah. Is really the implicit question there. Like because <laughs> if I don't get rid of this stuff, I might. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and and so uh, the, the, how weird is that? Because I'm hoarding, so you should be hoarding as well, because if you're not hoarding, then there must be something wrong with you, right? And so I'm going to question your sanity because you're letting go of stuff. What a, what a weird way for us to impose our own... Um, judgments. Or, yeah, judgments and yeah. defects on, onto other people. All right, uh, moving items from one pile to another without discarding anything. Now, think about that for a second. It, when I would go into my basement, sometimes I would like just reorganize the hordes of stuff. Like, well, there's a whole lot of stuff down here. I need to make room for more stuff that I want to put into the basement. And so I'm going to move this pile here and try to fit. It was like playing Tetris with my stuff and, and moving one pile to it, uh, the other side of the room. I'm not going to use it here. And I, of course, I might use it over here one day. No, I'm not going to. And so you're just moving around the clutter. You're you're shifting the problem from one corner to another. You're not getting rid of the problem. Uh, next bullet point here, acquiring unneeded or seemingly useless items, including trash. Now, uh, trash is, 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 that's the extreme side of things. But, but think of how many... <laughs> All of my furniture at my mom's house uh, <laughs> was it was dug out of the trash? <laughs> that wasn't trash though. That was, I mean, it, that no, it became useful. But anyway, yeah, so think about this: uh, um, acquiring or or holding on to seemingly useless items, unneeded items. We have words for these. We call them tchotchkes or trinkets, oh, right? Yeah. Or or decoratives or or you know, uh, souvenirs, right? These aren't <laughs> things that are useful. Uh, there aren't things that bring us joy in any way. They're, they're useless, and we, we, yeah. we continue to hold on to them. So that's a sign of, of hoarding. It doesn't mean you're a hoarder necessarily, but it, it means it is a sign of hoarding. Uh, next bullet point here. Difficulty managing daily activities, procrastinating, and troublemaking decisions. So if you have troublemaking decisions, if you procrastinate... Josh, well, I think I might be a hoarder. <laughs> Because you procrastinate? <laughs> yes. There's a lot of things on this list that I have impulses to do. <laughs> uh, well, the next one is difficulty organizing items. And you know that I believe that the easiest way for you to organize your stuff is to get rid of most of it. 
And so if you have difficulty organizing items, it'd be a lot easier to organize most of it if, if, you, if you didn't own most of it, right? The next one is, uh, this is the opposite of the sort of procrastinating thing, although I think they can go hand in hand. It's perfectionism. And that's the one that I struggled with, especially with the OCD side of things, is always wanting things to be perfect. But here's the weird thing about that. If, if you always want something to be perfect because the idea is so perfect in your head, you know what you end up doing? You end up procrastinating. You know, the, that novel I've always wanted to write, well, it's not going to be perfect if I start writing it now. That first draft is going to be so terrible, so I'll just put it off until I'm a better writer or whatever. So the perfectionism actually leads to procrastination in a roundabout way. Uh, next bullet point, excessive attachment to possessions and discomfort letting others touch or borrow possessions. I'll tell you, this is one that I certainly struggled with before, and I think I still struggle with it now to a certain extent, not letting people uh, touch the stuff, or I mean, not, not to borrow stuff, but I hate when people will come over and touch things in my house. Oh, dude. Uh, and that is a, a form of OCD, but you know what? I deal with it, right? And I realize that it's okay. It's not a big deal. And you know, another way to, to deal with that is to have a four-year-old because she touches everything <laughs> all the say, time. Like, you must just constantly be biting your lip. <laughs> I'm just I'm just follow Ella around <laughs> fixing things behind her. She's like the hurricane and I am FEMA just going around <laughs> Cleaning up the damage that that she creates. <laughs> uh, and the last the last bullet point here is limited or no social interactions. And well, that's that's something different for me. Uh, that's that's my choice. Actually, by de- that's by design for me. Um, I have not gotten to a point where I'm so surrounded. I never got to a point, I should say. I'm certainly not there now. I never got to a point where I was so surrounded by clutter that it didn't allow other people into my life because I was embarrassed or whatever. I I hid my clutter because I was embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's hence all of the, the bins in the basement. But what causes someone to become a hoarder? How can a pack rat escalate to hoarder at such a severe magnitude? According to the Mayo Clinic, at this time... There is not a clear explanation as to what causes hoarding. There are, however, some commonalities among hoarders. Uh, One of those commonalities, Ryan, is age. While severe hoarding is most common in middle-aged adults around age 50. This was the most staggering part of the whole article oh, no. to me. We might just flip a switch when we're 50. Well, nope. Or switch a flip. <laughs> we will not do either. <laughs> and here's why. Their hoarding tendencies begin around ages 11 to 15. Get so out. it already started for us in our in our teenage early teenage years. During these early teenage years, they typically saved broken toys, outdated school papers, and pencil nubs. Okay, uh, no, okay, one of those three I saved. You guess which one? <laughs> yeah, you can tweet him at Ryan Nicodemus. Let him know which one that he saved. All right, the next uh, the next commonality among hoarders is personality. Oftentimes, hoarders struggle with severe indecisiveness and anxiety. I, mm. I, I tend to default to anxiety. I, I tend to be an anxious person if I don't keep it under control, and so that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, genetics. So that's the next point here. Although hoarding is not an entirely genetic disorder, there is some genetic predisposition involved in the, dis- in the disorder. And so choose your parents wisely, folks. 
sadly, I, I didn't have that option, and, and neither did you. And so we, we are born into the circumstances in which we are born, and we have to uh, make the best out of the, the situation we have, you know, the, the lemonade and lemons, so forth. Anyway, uh, uh, trauma is the next bullet point here. Many hoarders experience a stressful or traumatic event that propels them to hoard as a coping mechanism. Oh, dude. I, I You know, the first thing I think of is that gal who came up to us um, in Dallas during our 2014 tour. Mm-hmm. And, like, her son oh, yes. had, like, had, it was a traumatic accident. Um, and basically, she just left his room untouched. And, mm-hmm. like, never... And she, she was mad at us for telling... For for telling yeah. her that she should, even though we weren't telling her, she no, should, we that weren't. was the message she got. From well, us. The, yeah, she came up to us and she was like, "Should I get should I get rid of my son's Bible?" And we're like, "No, like that's not what we're saying at all." Like, do yeah. do you want to? Do you want to? She's like, "No, I I, I use it all the time and go to church regularly." We're like, "Great, like hold on to that Bible, it's great." But but I, I what I'm getting at is is like that is. Uh, I am. We are the wrong people to help that type of person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could have some tips and tricks, but I, I guess what I'm saying is, is like my heart really goes out to people like her, who just has like an obvious mental block mm-hmm. that I'm certainly not qualified to help her get past. Yeah, and so I think we're not qualified to sort of walk her through step by step, but I think if anything, we can try to inspire people like her. And yeah, we're not, absolutely. We're not, we're not going to to. And, but here's here's the weird thing about that. That's all we're doing anyway, right? Like we're not holding anyone's hands. I mean, well, that's not true. You have a mentoring business, and so you you help people through through your mentoring one on one. But for the most part, and and if you had someone who was a a severe hoarder it'd be difficult in your mentoring practice. And you would tell them right away, like, hey, I'm not the person to walk you through this. Yeah. But I can give you my own recipe. And yep. I can tell you what I've seen. Yeah, I've done that a couple of times, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so so there you go. Yeah. And, and uh, the last bullet point here is social isolation. Hoarders are often socially withdrawn and isolated, causing them to hoard as a way to find comfort. And that, that to me, is that, that word is... Comfort can be discomforting in the long run. And what I mean by that is I was just writing this morning about about the tour that, that we're on right now and how I don't like public speaking and I don't like crowds of people and I don't like traveling. And yet I find myself on our eighth tour in seven years. And the reason being isn't because I am some sort of Massac- I think seven out of eight of those were your idea too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> um, uh, I'm, I'm not a masochist, but the, the truth is that they ma- it makes me uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and and that discomfort is a place from which I grow and and I become a better person in the process. Yeah, and and trials, tribulations, and all. I, I found that be putting myself in that discomfort zone, making myself uncomfortable, and if you're a hoarder, that discomfort can have to do with letting go. It's uncomfortable to let go. By the way, if you're not a severe hoarder, it's still often uncomfortable to let go, but letting go is the place from which you are going to grow. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's funny. I just have, like, so many examples going through my head right now of, like, growing up uh, and, like, literal growing pains in your legs and arms and stomach, like, as you're growing, Yes, uh, working out at the gym, I was there this morning, man, and like it was leg day. I freaking hate leg day, mm. but like I feel so much better afterwards. But like during it, I'm yeah. just like this is miserable. Every time I'm doing like some leg extensions, I'm like this is I hate this exercise. 
But by the end of the workout, it's like, oh, wow, like I got through it. I know that I'm, you know, hopefully when I'm 50 years old, I can still snowboard down the mountain just fine. Man, I was just listening to a, a podcast with Tim Ferriss, and he had a guy who's turning 80 this year. Um, man, what is his name? It's Art Art something. We'll find a link to it and put it in <laughs> the I think it's Art Vandelay, and the only people who watch Seinfeld are going to get that I don't, I don't. Actually, that sounded right until you, you said that. <laughs> oh, and, dude, I should have let it go. <laughs> it would have just been me and all the Seinfeld fans. <laughs> Little inside joke. Yeah, well, it's sad because people tell me I sound like Seinfeld sometimes on, on the podcast. And, really? Uh, yeah, and I've never, I've never. Whoa, Ryan! <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> no, no, no. Like, not the exaggerated version of oh. Seinfeld, but like when he's actually just talking. Anyway, uh, how do you know when you're done lifting weights? Is it because you've lifted all the weights in the gym, Ryan? That, that's right. No, I was talking about how I can. Uh, well, I, 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 the reason I work out is like I really want to. I want to snowboard as long. I want to snowboard up until like the day. Before. Oh yeah, yeah, that's what he was talking about. Yeah. He, he was talking about how. Uh, there is no successful way to age because if you're aging, you're automatically failing. And he talks about why that is and how how to. You just blew my mind. How, how to stop? I mean, because aging is is failure of the body, basically. Wow. And you know, thankfully, I still look like I'm 21 years old, uh, even though the rest of <laughs> what my. What are you body, talking about? You look like you're 18, man. You still get carded <laughs> when you buy cough syrup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, you know, the rest of my body has caught up. My back, in particular, although I'm I'm working on fixing that. Anyway, uh, he was just talking about how how you know at age 80 he's healthier than many of the people who are half his age, mm. and, and it's because of some of the things he does with diet and exercise and. And understanding, I'll have to listen to that uh, understanding his body. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll find a link to it and put it in in the show notes. It was it was a good one. Awesome. Uh, it was pretty dense at parts, but that dense stuff was was good. Maybe take sit down and, and take some notes. Uh, anyway, we were just talking a second ago, Ryan, about moving one hoard from one pile in my basement to a different section of the basement or mm-hmm. something like that. Back in in my twenties, and it reminded me you weren't there, but when we were in Grand Rapids a few weeks ago. We, uh, I was totally in Grand Rapids with you. Yeah, yeah, you were, but I, you were all actually, Josh. I have a secret to tell you. <laughs> I don't even exist. <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh my god. <laughs> um, all right, sorry, Grand Rapids. I wasn't there for this yeah, one instance. You're the worst, Tyler Durden. Like you could at least con- you could convince me to take over the universe instead. You're just like, hey man, I don't know about another tool. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should scale back a little bit, dude. <laughs> you're like the reverse Tyler Durden. <laughs> anyway, I'm Tyler Turden. <laughs> Anyway, we were in Grand Rapids, and I was with uh, Rebecca. Was with me and uh, Jess, Jessica Williams, Jess Ness, as we call her. She she runs our social media. Um, she uh, she was with us as well. We went to the Grand Rapids Art Museum. G R A T G M A. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was great, but there was this one 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 piece of, of artwork. We're in this conference room right now uh, here at the University of Montana, and and there's a TV on the wall in this conference room. By the way, I've never seen this TV turned on. I don't think. Uh, anyway, the, it was the there was this piece of art, Ryan, and it was like this TV. It's a you know, 50 inch TV or whatever, 60 inch TV, massive TV, and and what was interesting about this piece of art is. It was a real-time video, a 12-hour video loop of, it looked like a clock. So imagine clock hands. You have a short hand and a, 
a long hand, right? Minute hand, hour hand, yeah. Yeah, the the longer hand is the the minute hand. And you had these two guys with large push brooms, janitor push brooms, pushing around trash in real time, making this clock. So if it was 143, you'd have at 140. So for 12 hours Those lines of trash yeah yeah okay. so 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 think about that. i'm gonna draw this so people listening to this you're you're just gonna have to use your imagination but i think no, drawing, i think i get it well, i think drawing will help me explain it right okay okay and so there's a line of, of trash here right yeah it's just a whole bunch of trash and then it, that would be noon right and then if it's 12 15 12 20 this is the other line of trash. Here's yes. the longer line of trash. And so it looked like this, right? Uh, I'm holding it up right now, and, it, and it's a clock. So there was one guy basically for every minute on the minute for 60 minutes. No, they were, they were both pushing around the minute hand until oh, okay. it got around to the hour, and then it, they would change the hour. And they did this for 12 they hours. They did it for 12 hours straight. It was, this filmed, is art. it was filmed overhead. I'm going to quit this and be an artist. <laughs> but here's the thing. It was the most compelling thing in the whole museum, and it was a great museum. Uh, but it, here's the reason it was so compelling, and, and I'm thinking about it now in a different context. It, this is one of those pieces of art that hits you weeks or months later when you, when you can think about it in a different context. This is what we're doing with our stuff. Yeah. It's a metaphor. We're just push, we're we're spending time pushing, pushing a, a bunch of trash, yeah. and and that's quite often what we're doing. And so so I, when I think of when I think of hoarding, I often think of things that aren't trash quickly becoming trash mm-hmm. because we're not willing to use them. And here's the last uh, paragraph from this article, Ryan, and then we can jump into the podcast. My God. <laughs> My God, Sean, what time are we at right now? I think we're almost at an hour, so we might have to. 52 minutes. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have to do like lightning round. We'll treat the voicemails like lightning round. Researchers, doctors, and psychologists continue to search for effective treatments for hoarding. And Americans continue to observe the accumulation on the TV screen. When a world is awash in anxiety, worry, and fear. And when accumulating things becomes a way to deflect and manage those feelings the stack will keep getting bigger and bigger. And if I were to just add one thing to that, then maybe minimalism or simplifying. If minimalism is too stark for you or too extreme, maybe simplifying is the answer to some of that anxiety, that fear, that stress, that worry, that discontent that's in front of you. Maybe dealing with that external clutter allows you to look inward mm. and start dealing with that with the clutter that's going on I inside. Totally, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I guess like the only thing I would emphasize uh, is the discomfort part. Like if there's a hoarder out there, and I know there are, uh, just grab like one thing that like something that you know is trash. Just go throw it out, and yeah. as you're feeling that discomfort and as you're feeling uh, that twinge, just remind yourself how like you're working out to, to take care of what you know is, is becoming a problem. Mm, you're uh, building the muscle of letting go. Yes, you're, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is, and that's what we've done over the last six years. I mean, you know, uh, thank goodness we're fortunate enough to where, you know, we weren't on that extreme side. Man, but we were we, damn we, close. You yeah, were damn close. I, I would say we were we were both pretty close. It, it manifested differently. Sure. With me, it was organized. We were we, just pack rats, Josh. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> it, I don't have a problem, guys. I'm just a pack rat. <laughs> All right. Let's jump into these voicemails. Our first voicemail is from Will in Georgia. I'm a strong believer in emergency preparedness, and um, you know those beliefs have come in handy several times. 
uh, throughout my life. And I wanted to know your thoughts. I, I know you said you mentioned that the three uh, most dangerous words are just in case. And, um, you know, but I also, you know, believe in you know, places like Minnesota and even Montana, where you all are from, you know, you're always one disaster away from freezing or, or, you know, even potentially starving if you live far enough out there. So what are your thoughts on, on that? Um, can someone be a semi prepper slash survivalist and a minimalist all at one time? You know, it's interesting because what we were talking about earlier, Ryan, we were, I was saying that, you know, everyone is a hoarder, or at least predisposed to hoarding to some extent. And so we're all preppers to some extent as Absolutely. well, right? In fact, I've I like, got toilet paper at my house stockpiled. <laughs> you're prepared for that. I next, got at least like 20 rolls of it. You're prepared for the next bowel movement. <laughs> and and so... Uh, it's I, called a BM, Josh. <laughs> yeah, so, sorry. Sorry to be so gratuitous on this this family-friendly podcast. Anyway, um, I, think, I think we're all... Uh, preparers in some sort. In fact, I am. I, my personality lends itself to be rather prepared. I'm an INTJ. That J means that I, uh, I prepare for everything. You're mm-hmm. a you're a ENFP, and that means you're just like ah, I go with the flow. But even you, the person who just goes with the flow with everything, yeah. you don't just go with the flow and say ah, don't worry about the toilet paper. <laughs> It'll be fine. Well, usually, like you might actually have some hippie friends who are kind of like that. Though. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, I will tell you though, like the, I mean, the first thing that came to mind when I was listening to Will's question or yeah, Will's question here was the chains for the Corolla that we had to get, um, during the 2014 tour. Yeah. For folks that don't know what, uh, chain, what, what, he's, what he's talking about with chains, it's chains for your tires in, in snowy mountainous situations. Yeah, like, and there are some mountain passes out West. I don't, I haven't seen any like east of the Mississippi. Yeah. But uh but out west like it's illegal uh to drive without chains when it gets to be a certain time of year uh or if the weather gets to be a certain condition, they won't let you pass. Like they will stop you and check to see if you have studded tires or if you have chains. But anyway, uh we did not have chains mm-hmm. and they basically told us to turn around. Right. And we like stayed in a hotel and then the next day we went and got chains and like it helped us get, you know, past uh, the mountain pass. But I keep those in my car. I've had to use them just one other time since then. Right. But yeah, it's definitely something that sits there. I got a spare tire in my car. Oh my goodness. I got and, jumper cables. And wait, so that doesn't fit in the 9090 rule. You have to get rid of it, Ryan. <laughs> you, have you used your spare tire in the last 90 days? Or are you going to use it in the next 90 days? If not, you have to get rid of I'm it. such a fraud. Uh, you know, here, here's the thing. We need to delineate between just-in-case items and just-for-when items, yeah. right? So the just-in-case items are these things that we we hold on to for some hypothetical future. And we all know that you can replace those just-in-case items for less than $20 and less than 20 minutes from wherever you are. And that gives you permission to let go of anything you're holding on to just in case. It's yeah, the most dangerous words in the English language. But there are these other uh, other things, the other side of things, uh, like your chains or your spare tire or whatever it may be. Uh, there are just for win items. You know that at some point you're going to end up needing that. Now, here's, here's the difference. As circumstances change, if you were to move to Mexico City, Ryan... I would, be, I would happily get rid of those chains. Right, but you're still going to need the spare tire, right? Sure. And, and so you have to continue to reevaluate your situation. Let me tell you what isn't going to help you in an emergency. A box full of useless USB cables that go to different attachments that you keep in your trunk. Right. That is never going to help you in a jam. Yeah, but let's talk about the emergency preparing thing because he was talking about that. And and the question I have, the, the honest question I have for you, Will, and I would encourage you to ask yourself this and also anyone else who is considering sort of emergency prepping, 
ask yourself, what are you preparing for? And I think that's really the problem when I see uh, these prepper shows or when I, I mean, I've never, I've never actually seen a full episode of that, but I, I understand the concept of you know, preparing for end times kind of thing. And what are you actually preparing for? And then what is the likelihood of that thing happening, right? Because we can't prepare for everything. We're all going to be unprepared for something. Right. And the question is, what are you preparing for? And if you're ever feeling like, well, I need to prepare for everything, just go watch those silly Jim Baker videos where they're oh selling God. the tubs of, of like space age macaroni and cheese that you can also turn into furniture. And you, you should look at the reviews on that food. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. It is, is so, it really? Oh, dude, yeah. Like, where, where could I you possibly seen, see a review for that? Just, is it on Yelp or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just yelped it. No, man, I just, because uh, you told me about those videos, and I looked up. They're so funny. They are hilarious. And like, the whole crowd's like, mmm. But like, they're, I don't even think they're eating the food that's coming out of the buckets. No, but anyway, um, no, there are, we like going down the YouTube rabbit hole, there are uh, a few videos of people like, reviewing the actual like they buy the buckets of food and then they open it up and eat it and oh man dude it's hilarious yeah anyway we, it, we are it's digressing so, no, it's, this. it's it's hilarious and sad but so here's the thing ask yourself what are you preparing for and then here's another way to prepare see those extreme versions and realize how absurd it is and realize that you can't prepare for everything but you should prepare for something of things. course i've got band-aids at home you know what i dude i slice my thumb if i showed you this you probably pass out dude uh -huh. mariah could barely even help me with it it was so bad um, but if it wasn't for like having some peroxide and band-aids and like having that stuff that no, I haven't used in the last 90 days. I'm like, yeah, will I use it in the next 90 days? I don't know. But, but yeah, like I have, I had that stuff just for when. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's our verdict. Hold on to things that are truly just for when get rid of the just in case items. And you have to be honest with yourself and yeah. realize that, that your circumstances, uh, can, can change in time. And I think like we can go back to the article that we were just reading and, you know, we, they were, you know, trying to delineate like what is, you know, what's a pack rat, what's a hoarder. But, you know, we were talking about how do those things affect your life? Like Josh, if I got into your car and there was room for only two people and the whole back seat was filled with blankets and water and canned food and all of this stuff, because we do live in Montana and it is important to like, have some kind of backup plan in case your car breaks down in the middle of nowhere and it's negative 20 degrees. Right. But there's a point where uh, you've got to look at it and say, this is affecting my life. Like this is affecting um, the people in my life. This is affecting the people around me. Like, I, you know, I've got this car and yeah, I've got all these just for, uh, just for when, just for when I'm like saying that in air quotes items. Um, but it's taking up my entire back seat. So like, that's where, uh, you know, will needs to delineate like, okay, is it, is this a how is this affecting my life? And if it's affecting it in a negative way, like, yeah, you might want to question those just for one items. Yeah, absolutely. And then last thing I'll say here is have some rules around letting go. They're not perfect rules. You know, we, we were just joking about the 90-90 the rule, but that's a good place to get started. Have I used this in the last 90 days? Am I going to use it in the next 90 days? Not everything is going to fall into that, but the vast majority of your items will. And that, that's going to allow, allow you to establish some sort of Groundworks, uh, groundwork for letting go. We have the, the just in case rule. It's a 2020 rule. I know that anything I let go of just in case I could replace for 20 bucks in 20 minutes. And that lets me let go of so many things. So what are some of your rules for letting go? 
And uh, speaking of Montana, Will mentioned Montana, and you just mentioned Montana, Ryan. In our book, Everything That Remains, we, we first moved out to Montana to write that book. And so I'd love to send Will a copy of it. We talk in there sort of about why we, we moved out here to Montana. And I'll tell you this, it wasn't so we could become preppers. But uh, we, we talk about the reasons why we, we decided to move out here and, and spend some time out here. And uh, it's one of the later chapters in the book, but I think you'll find some value in that. So, Sean, if you could reach out to him, give him the book book version or the ebook version, or it's now on audiobook as well on Audible. If we have any download codes and he wants the Audible version, we could give that to him. Also, he is in Georgia. If he'd like some tickets to our event in Atlanta that's coming up this fall, we're headed to 40 cities this year on the Less Is Now tour. Ryan and I give an in-depth talk about minimalism, and we record a live version of the Minimalist podcast, and we dish out a bunch of hugs afterward as well. So reach out to Will, if you would, Sean, and see if he would like a couple tickets to that stop in Atlanta. And Like I said, we're coming to 39 other cities besides that as well. We hope to see you on the road. It's pretty amazing when I think about uh, when we lived in in the cabin, you know, on the side of the mountain. We had everything we needed, man. Like, I don't ever remember... Be, I don't ever remember wanting. I mean, there were a couple things that were like, oh man, like I remember the first thing um, that I remember we needed is you're like, oh, I need a writing desk. Mm-hmm. So we went to the antique shop or like the... We went down the, into town. Went down into town, which was like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's like one street, two blocks of, or you know, maybe five, whatever it is. Of a it's bunch a one of, street town. It's basically. a one street town. Bunch of bars, and then like there's an antique shop. <laughs> right. We bought a three dollar desk, and then went and bought some screws and and sort Had of reinforce. Yeah, there's a little hardware store there, which was dude. That hardware store was it was awesome. It was like one person <laughs> that ran it. It was three floors of stuff, uh-huh. and it was like when we went there, they're like, "Oh, there's upstairs," and like they turned the lights on for us. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, anyway. and, and so you you can make do, and we didn't have to Absolutely. prepare for everything. All right, should we move on, Ryan? Yes. All right, let's let's uh, let's talk to Joey in Brooklyn. I I'm married in about seven years. Uh, I just realized by watching your documentary that I am a minimalist. I always like living simple and simplicity. I don't like clutter. I don't like chaos. Uh, funny that I live in Brooklyn, New York. It's nothing but clutter and chaos here. Um, I'm hoping to move to Colorado someday, but my question is, as a minimalist at heart, how can a minimalist live with a hoarder? My wife is the opposite. She likes to hoard things, and I'm a minimalist. Well, Joey, you see, the thing is, is you... you watched only our documentary. You've got to read our other three books. You've got to go out and buy those. Uh-huh. And you've got to listen to every single podcast that we've ever done. And you'll know exactly what to do. Next question. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I think, Ryan, my answer to his question um, would have been, yeah, you probably can't live with a hoarder. Um, I think I think if a few years ago, maybe as little as, yeah, yeah just a couple of years ago, I, I may have just said, no, you, you can't live with a hoarder. And my answer to that is still, maybe you can't. And that's a hard thing for me to have to say to someone. I'm not trying to break up anyone's family by any means. But also, here's the other good news. Maybe you can. You know, we, mm-hmm. we, we just had Patrick Roan at our Minneapolis event. 
And he talked about, we'll, we'll post that eventually in, in the feed as well. We, we recorded a podcast with him on stage in front of a, a crowd there in Minneapolis. And we were talking to him. He has a wife and a daughter, and his wife and daughter, both of them are, one of them's a pack rat, one of them's a hoarder. And, and he talks about how, um, how that can be stressful in his own life. Mm-hmm. But he also has learned to move beyond tolerating them. And then the acronym we use is Terra. Uh, we have an essay on our website. I won't read it to you right now, but you can just go to theminimalists.com slash understanding, or you can find it in the show notes to this episode as well. And uh, the, the acronym is Terra, T-A-R-A. You want to move beyond tolerance. You want to get toward uh, accepting the person. And so it seems to me you're at a point right now where you're tolerating your wife, uh, Joey, and that's good. But can you accept her? And then can you move beyond that? And this requires a large leap from acceptance to respect. Can you respect the person she is or the respect the person she wants to become? And ultimately, the sort of the, the, the higher level of understanding someone is appreciating them for who they are. And man, yeah. I was really surprised by Patrick and, and how he's able to, to truly appreciate his wife and his daughter and the, the accumulation that's going on in their lives. And he has to do some mental jujitsu to make this happen, but it, he's able to, and he, he, he doesn't just ruminate on it. He's able to live that way that he does appreciate them for who they are, warts and all. And by the way, it's a two-way street. They have to appreciate him for who he is. They have to respect the person that he is and the simple living that he is. And, and it's hard to do, but it's important to do when you're living with other people. Now, I'll tell you this. I couldn't. I couldn't personally live with a hoarder. I, and, and it's not that I couldn't physically do it. It's just I wouldn't want to so much that it, it, it would... It would be a lot of work, man. Yeah. It'd and, be a lot of work on both ends. It's hard for me to live with anyone period. And, and so I, I know that I need to live with someone who has similar beliefs to me. Now, here, here's what, what, what's happening with Joey. He and his wife have radically different beliefs. But here's the question that for me would personally determine whether or not I could live with that other person is, do we have the same values? And if you do, then you, you try to employ that T-A-R-A, that, that acceptance, that respect, and, and that appreciation of the other person if you have the same values. Because if you have the same values, it means you're working toward going in the same place. You just have different paths to get yeah, there. I think for me, um, I couldn't live with someone if they didn't respect me. If they couldn't get to that R on Terra, then I wouldn't be able to live with them. Yeah. So, so it's a two-way street, meaning that Joey here has to respect, get to that point where he is respecting and appreciating uh, his wife's uh, his wife's everything, her whole life, warts and all. He's got to appreciate those. And she has to do the same thing. If she's not reciprocating, then I think that, like, if I was in that position, that's where I would have to say, like, okay, like, I, I can't live with you. Um, but I don't think it's, you know, Joey, we're not recommending that you <laughs> leave your wife, man, by any stretch. No. Um, uh, but what I'm getting at is... Only you can recommend that, Joey. Right, absolutely. But I, I guess what I'm getting at, Joey, is that, you know... It, you you probably love each other very much and you probably do respect each other very much. And if that's the case, then you know what, Joey, you've got to go out of your way to appreciate her lifestyle. And she also has to go out of her way to appreciate the simple life that you want to live. So there's going to be a little bit of give and take. 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. It's not easy for sure. Yeah. And, and by the way, it took a long time to, to become a minimalist for you, Joey, or for me, it certainly did. It took a long time to become a minimalist and it probably took her a while to amass her hoard. And so if either one of you are going to change or, or even change with respect to just appreciating the other person, that's going to take a while as well. You have to realize that it, it can be tempting, uh, to, to rush toward that appreciation thing. It, but it, it can take months or even years to see that sort of transformation happen. Mm-hmm. You just have to be working in, in that direction. And while you're doing that, you know, the thing you said earlier, Ryan, was you know, we're not out judging anyone. We're talking about the hoarders article. That you, you don't want to judge her. You just want to identify with her because we all have those hoarding tendencies. And so that's what Ryan and I are doing right now. We're not out here judging anyone who's hoarding or collecting things or whatever. We can simply identify with you. We can also now thankfully, identify with the other side. Ryan, in our book, uh, Essential, there's an entire chapter on stuff, the accumulation of stuff. There's, in fact, the, the first two chapters, the first one's about minimalism, the second chapter is about stuff. And Joey, I would love to send you a copy of that book, either the book version, the ebook version, or the audible um, audiobook version. Uh, I think you'll get a lot of value from it. It's our longest book. It's about six and a half hours, 12 different chapters uh, on 12 different areas of intentional living. Also, I noticed that Joey, from your accent, you're in Brooklyn. And, um, and he also told us he was from Brooklyn. Oh, yeah, he did, didn't he? Darn. <laughs> I thought that was a Swedish accent. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're coming to Brooklyn. Uh, actually, we have two stops in New York. We have one in Manhattan and one in Brooklyn, but I'd love to give you My some God, tickets. We are moving on up, man. <laughs> we'd love to give you some. We've never done a tour stop in Brooklyn before. No, we haven't. You know, our first New York City tour stop was in Queens. Queens, man. <laughs> we wonder why, like, only, like, 15 people showed up. Yeah, well, we didn't have any audience. That was the biggest thing. That was the biggest thing. Uh, well, I remember we just got a lot of emails and said, so, hey, I was planning on making it, but it was in Queens and it was like raining that day or something. And Yeah, anyway, anyway we will be in Brooklyn. So, Sean, if you could reach out to him, get him a copy of the book Essential and then also maybe a couple tickets for he and his wife. I think another way to expose someone else to a different side of of living, whether it's minimalism or simple living or anything else, is to show them something that makes the thing less radical. So uh, I found that a lot of our live events, half of the crowd that shows up was sort of brought there by a friend or family member, and they're willing to be supportive and, and appreciate the other person, even though the minimalism or simple living may not be appealing to them. But you start to see these light bulbs go off over people's heads in time. And you realize like, oh, we're not out converting anyone, but we're helping people understand that minimalism is not a radical lifestyle. It can be practical. You know, I just I just want to add to that. Like, Joey, if you bring your wife out, I promise you she won't hate it. Like, I have not, I have yet to meet someone who is, I mean, you know, like there, it's funny because, you know, well, she we, does hate it. We'll give you your money back. That's right. No, we'll, we'll have like the hug line afterwards, the meet and greet line. I mean, we call it a hug line, but it's a meet and greet line. And there will be that one person maybe who like as they're walking up to us, one walks up to us and then the other one just splits off and just kind of stands on the side like while whoever they came with is saying hello and, you know, grabbing a hug or whatever. Yeah. But I don't ever see him like scowling or angry. It's just more like, a, you know, they're just... um not into the hugs or are they not into the or they're not into the whole minimal, minimalist thing, which, which is fine, fine. But they're being supportive for you and they're Absolutely. understanding the message. They're they're not fans of the minimalists, yeah. which is totally fine. But at least they can they can tweeze out a few nuggets. You know, Ryan, when you say that, I'm thinking about when I was married. My my former spouse Carrie, she loved an author named uh, Jody Picot, who's like a, a a famous sort of genre fiction author, a talented author. And uh, we went to go in Dayton. We went to go like 
a book signing. She gave a talk or whatever at, at Books and Co. And um, you know, we're standing in line afterward. I'm being I'm being there just to be supportive. Not not I'm not a fan of her work, but I, I don't dislike it either. And it's the same thing. Like I stood in line with, with Carrie until we got up there, and then as soon as we got to the front, I stepped aside. Part of that was just because I didn't want to like ruin the moment for her and kind of get in the way of the whole thing. I knew like she was super excited to to meet Jody Paco and get her autograph and say hi and thank you and and I didn't want to get in the way of that. I imagine if it was like you bringing Ella to a Justin Bieber concert or something. I mean, I know that's a really stupid example. What but a weird analogy. <laughs> well, no, it's like Why you're not going to be super to the Biebs concert when Bex and I could go alone. <laughs> Dude, that last album was good though. It but really anyway, was. no, it's like, but but I but I mean, you know, my my analogy is like, yeah, you go up like, oh great, I was excited to meet this person. Like, you know, you're not going to hold up the line. You're not really going to get anything out of it. So yeah, you're going to let her have her moment and then move on. Indeed. Yeah, Joey, bring her out. She's not going to hate it. I promise. She might even laugh a little bit. Yeah, she'll she'll dig it. It's not a comedy show, but there are. It, there turn, it turns into bits of comedy throughout the night. I think I think she'll enjoy it. Our, our next question is from Kip in Virginia. So I tend to, at times, correlate minimalism with also food, you know, the paleo diet and all that. You know, it's the simple way of eating that makes me happy personally. And, um, well, I have a grandmother who is a bit of a hoarder for food and for things. And I was just wondering, like, how do I, how do I help her? Like, she always wants to, like, she wants to, you know, know, have less. She wants to. You know, she wants to be happy with what she has, but she can't, you know, stop herself from buying. So I was wondering, like, how can I help her with, A, her diet, and B, with her buying stuff? So, you know, earlier, Ryan, I was talking about you, you have to choose your parents carefully, but I guess you have to choose your <laughs> grandparents carefully as well. Man, wouldn't that be nice? I don't know if that would be nice, actually. Anyway. No, it would be, you know, because our friend Colin Wright, I mean, you just have to choose his parents every time, right? Because they have, like, the the quintessential, like, nuclear family. They are the poster of, uh, when I think of, like, the... Everyone has a dysfunctional family except for Colin's family. Yeah. And and it's almost like they are dysfunctional because they're not dysfunctional. (laughs) I am very jealous of not just Colin and his great looks, but also his parents. And his intellect and his uh, kindness and, and, you know, his charitable giving. (laughs) (laughs) welcome to the minimalist podcast episode number 82 this episode is about colin (laughs) (laughs) anyway um yeah so so kip i I think that yeah you you can't help someone who doesn't want help and that's the first thing i'm going to tell other people who are listening but your grandma does want help because she's she's giving you indicators that she does want help and i think the only way that we can help someone is is to ask them how can i help I mean, and that's, really, that's really where I would start. You got to go up to her and say, how can I help? And she, she will give you indicators. Now, well, he said that she will even say, mm-hmm. I want to be happier with less. I want to eat healthier. Right. And so the next question is, how can I help? Now, yeah. Here's the thing. There, there will be two answers, right? And to get back to Patrick Roan, the thing we were talking about in Minneapolis, hopefully we'll, we'll post that episode this month or next month or something. Uh, we still have to edit it. But uh, the, the thing he was talking about is every story is about two things. It's about what the story is and what the story really is. Mm. And I think, I think 
the answer that she gives you will, will have two sides. It'll be the veneer, what, what her actual answer is. But you have to look behind that veneer and say, what does that really mean? You're, you're going to have to do some dissecting and some mm-hmm. interpreting and some decocting to, to figure out what, what, what is she saying and then what is she really saying? But first you have to start with, how can I help? Yeah. It makes me think uh, the last time I was visiting my grandmother, um, uh, Mariah and I went down to Florida earlier this year and she like cooked this amazing German meal for us. Um, her stove was like, I mean, it just hardly works. Like one of the burners doesn't work. One of the, one of the burners on it, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. One of them like high is low, lowest. I mean, it's like a really, but she's gotten used to like, you know, kind of making this thing work. Right. And I'm like, how long has it been like that? She's like, oh, you know, for years, you know, we keep talking about getting a stove. Um, but, you know, we just haven't went out and blah, blah, blah. Long story short, like I saw this need that my grandma had. And I went to her and, and my my uh, my Oma and my Opa. I went to them and I said, hey, if you pick out a stove in the next week, I will I will buy it for you and have it delivered to your house. But you have to do it this week. Wow. But and, but the thing you don't want to do is make that change for the person. No, of course, of course not. But without I mean, asking them first. Oh yeah, I mean this is I'm Grandma, just to, I got you a brand new house. Yeah, I'm trying to abbreviate this story for the sake of the length of this episode. But yeah, I mean ultimately that's what it came to, where I was like, let me get you a gift. Um, I'd love to do this for you uh, if you really want a new stove, and I'll do it as long as you can get out there in the next week. And it was, you know, kind of creating this sense of urgency, but it's, and I'm not saying that Kip needs to create a sense of urgency. What I'm, what I'm saying is, is offer your grandmother a solution Mm. and see if she's amicable to that. Um, actually it wasn't, they didn't get it done the first week cause she got, um, she just had some health problems, had to like go to the ER. So it ended up being a little bit longer than a week, but I let her slide. (laughs) She had a doctor's note. (laughs) <laughs> you know what the, the last thing I'll, I'll tell kip here is 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 well two things one is listen so you got to ask that question but then really really listen you have developed the ears for sitting back and saying you know what is she trying to say if you want to understand her you have to listen and then also show her what you struggle with and and, and because you what you're doing here is you're you're holding up a mirror and saying look i'm not perfect here are the things i struggle with and here's how i get through it and i understand you're struggling with this let me help you get through it and here's here's a path to do it you sometimes you just have to illuminate the path for her and then you can guide her along that way if she wants to help it sounds like she does want to help so you can help out i was uh, putting myself in kip's shoes and if it was my grandmother especially if i lived close to her. I don't know like the proximity where your grandmother lives, but if she lives, you know, within a driving distance or walking distance close enough to where you see her on a very regular basis. Um, I, if it was me, like I would offer to like come over and cook. I would offer to help make a meal plan. Um, I would go out of my way to hold her hand and like really, really, uh, just help, help guide her however I could. So, you know, I don't, I don't know again what proximity she is, but there's just a couple of things I'm throwing out there. Kip, you can come up with your own ideas, but yes, when she is saying to you, I want to do this, this is what I want to do. Dig a little bit deeper, ask how you can help or just offer a solution and, and see what she says. And if you get a chance to bring her to our event, we'll be in Washington, D.C. So, Sean, if you could reach out to Kip, maybe get them a couple tickets to the Washington, D.C. event. Uh, that, that could be a fun time for both of them and also might give them uh, some bonding time, but an additional perspective as well. Also, it'd be really cool. Uh, Cal Newport is going to be at that event oh, on dude. stage with us. So we're going to record a live podcast with Cal Newport. 
Uh, he's the author of So Good They Can't Ignore You and Deep Work. He also has a great TEDx talk called Quit Social Media. He inspired me and Ryan to uh, delete all the social media from our phones. And <laughs> he's, he's a computer scientist and a professor at Georgetown. Young guy, too. He's like 29, 30 years old. But he is he's brilliant. He, al- he also has these perspectives on things that aren't so radically different from mine, but they're different enough that he, he changes my mind about a lot of different things. So we'll put a link to both of those books I just mentioned in the show notes. And you can check out his, his blog as well. Uh, I think it's calnewport.com, but we'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. I just want to go out of my way before we move on. Kip, thanks for calling in, man. Like being 17 years old and having this mindset, like I thought that I had a head start figuring this out, uh, you know, right before I was turning age 30. And dude, you got such, such a more of a head start than me. So congrats on that. And like, dude, Josh, I wish, I wish we could talk to high school kids more. Like that, to me, that's the demographic that I really really, um, I'm just honored to like even be part of, man. You know, what's nice. Is that's one of the reasons we're doing the podcast and we, we did a documentary. We're seeing a lot more high school and college age folks show up at our events. It's certainly not the majority by any stretch, but, uh, it used to be that the majority of our audience was uh, our age and older. And, and now we're seeing people from 11 years old to 91 years old come, come to our events. Yeah. So you'll see Kip at age 17 and his grandmother, whatever age she is, and sort of everyone in between at, at our events. And we're all asking similar questions. How, how do I take back control? How do I live a meaningful life with less? And we hope to see you on the road uh, this year. All right, y'all. Uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say. So if you have a comment or tip about hoarding or collecting or clutter, uh, including any advice for any of our callers today or about the article that we that we talked about today, you can leave us a voicemail at 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com, where are our favorite comments and tips on a future episode. All right. You know what time it is. It is time for our hashtag Ask the Minimalists lightning round where we answer questions from social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at The Minimalists and Facebook.com slash The Minimalists. Uh, during the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I both do our best to answer each question with just a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We also put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media, if you'd like. What's our first question, Ryan? All right, our first question is from Rebecca. She writes in, how do you approach the subject when it's someone you live with who hoards and you're the intentional minimalist person? <laughs> There's all kinds of judgment in this question, it feels I like, know, right? yeah, it, yeah. It is, I, I don't it think, is. I mean, that's the hard thing about it's Twitter not being intentional, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's weird, right? It would have been weird if like, she put a first and last name in there, like, my roommates. <laughs> well, well, there's, iro- there's ir- irony here, it's ironic, that yeah, uh, the question, she didn't intentionally uh, want to judge a person, but she says she's the intentional minimalist person. <laughs> Um, but unintentionally was, was judging the, the you know, roommate or whoever it may be, right? Well, here's my, my short answer to Rebecca here. Approach people you care about with compassion and understanding. Preach. And that is sort of the thing we talked about earlier, but really that's the only way to approach them, right? As opposed to approaching them with judgment or something accusatory or blame, always approach them with compassion and understanding, listen to them and try to figure out how you can meet in the middle. 
Yeah, my short answer would be to keep confrontation from escalating. Don't use the word you unless it's followed by a compliment. Mm. So here's how this conversation would go down. If I was having this conversation with you, Josh, I'd say, hey, man, you know that I'm a little bit OCD and uh, how much clutter really, really bothers me. And I know how much you appreciate the things that you have in your life. Mm. And you have a very great taste and you have you know, a, an eye for antiques. And I really, really appreciate that about you. I am really feeling overwhelmed mm. with a lot of the things in the house. And I know that this is my problem mm. and I don't expect you to fix it. Uh, but what I am asking is just for a little bit of support. Yeah. And would then you be and, willing to help. Yeah. Would, would you be, you be willing, willing to, to support? Help? Exactly. So, uh, and this is like the biggest, uh, the biggest lesson I've learned, like through my many, <laughs> I don't want to say many failed relationships, but you know, I've, 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 <laughs> I've done some shitty things in the past. Yes. Um, but you know, one of the biggest thing I've learned is like, especially when talking to, um, my romantic partner is I will try to refrain from using the word you and then following it with something negative. Because what that does is it puts the burden on them. Yeah. They don't feel like they are being, uh, uh, talked to as much as reprimanded. And it is a surefire way of, of getting someone to be on the defense. And that confrontation will escalate if you continue to use the word you followed by what their problem is and how they need to fix it. Our next question is from Ann. Do hoarders ever find the thing they saved in case they need it one day? Or do they usually end up buying another one? Well, I don't have a specific answer to that question, but I have a, a broader answer that, um, that will answer it, and then some. Here's my short answer. Hoarding is always a problem, never the solution. Yeah, my short answer is I've yet to hear a good reason to suggest the average person should hoard. Yeah. I think museums should hoard. I think the Library of Congress should hoard. They don't hoard, though. I mean, that's the difference. Yeah, they right? curate. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I guess I'm just, I'm just trying to. Uh, there's always an exception to the rule. I don't. Right? I, I, I disagree. I, I think here that it's never the solution. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, well, think of one. And, and if anyone's at the home, Library of Congress is literally saving every single tweet ever tweeted. That's yeah, not curating. Yeah, sure it is. It absolutely is. Okay, they're curating Twitter. Right, but because it's digital, right? Okay, well it's not well it's not well uh it's not well um executed uh curation. It's, it absolutely is well executed. How is it's, it not? It's, it's, it's how is it, how is that poorly executed? Dude, okay, so the Library of Congress uh-huh is holding on to every newspaper ever printed. Uh-huh. So is the hoarder. Right. Okay, but, but so there are different reasons. <laughs> I mean, it is for the, archive the li- reasons. The Library of Congress is a service for other people. The hoarder is not. Is not. I guess a it goes back to that people. line between what is what is curation and what is hoarding. Right, I, I agree. But when it, when it becomes a service for other people, I, I agree with you. If, if the Library of Congress w- was there and it wasn't a service, that it's a public service. That now now we we can argue as to whether or not it's a useful public service, and and that that's going to be in the eye of the beholder. But I I, th- I definitely don't think they're hoarding. They're they're curating, and and they do they do a darn good job of curating those things and saving them digitally so that we don't have to. You know, we get most of our yeah. Our, they hoard everything, so we don't have to but they're not hoarding okay we can agree to disagree but you're, you that we're, we're fine to disagree but you, you haven't yet proven that they're hoarding 
you haven't yet proven to me that they're not hoarding. It's the burden of proof is on the person to say that they're hoarding or not. <laughs> the existence of hoarding, the, the burden of proof is on the person who says that there's an existence of hoarding, not on the person who says they're not hoarding. Okay. Let's move on to Carrie's question. All right. As a hoarder, where do I begin? I'm longing to simplify, but it's difficult to see a start when everything is cluttered. All right. Well, here's my short answer for you, Carrie. When facing an overwhelming challenge, it's best to start with the why, not the how. And, and, and really what I'm saying with that is we can think of a million different actions we can take, but you're going to putter out pretty quickly. You, you, you're going to run out of gas if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing. If you're just driving around without a destination in mind, you'll never get there. Ooh, that was pithy too. Damn. It was doubly pithy. Yeah, man. Um, you got to have that leverage. I mean, I, I totally agree, man. Especially, I mean, not just starting with Horde, but with anything. It's like if we really are going to work hard on something and we, we aren't clear on why we're doing it, uh, that that can lead to a way different ending than what we anticipated. Um, my short answer would be, if you don't know where to start, that's a good sign. There isn't a wrong place to start. The only wrong you could do is to not take action. Yes. Yes, indeed. And you know, I was thinking about, I was trying to think of an analogy I could use besides hoarding. And I thought about, um, like everything that remains, for example, mm-hmm. or actually let's talk, let me, let me talk to you about as a decade fades. Mm-hmm. So for those who don't know, this is a novel that Josh wrote, um, published back in 2014, 2000, no, 2000, I'm sorry, 2011. Yeah. 2011. Yeah. I wrote it in my twenties though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were on tour in 2014, not with that book. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. No, no. Um, but anyway, uh, it, it's a novel that Josh, uh, pu- uh, published. So, so Josh, um, how, like before you edited it down, like how yeah. many pages was it? Almost a thousand. Okay. So, and now it's like what? 230. Okay. So 230 pages. Yeah. So there were 75% of it that you basically took out of the book. Yeah. Most of it hit the cutting room floor at some point. So, and also those chapters, did you write them in chronological order? No, <laughs> no, of course not. No, no, no. I mean, in fact, the, you know, the, the first, the very first chapter was the thing I, I think I wrote last. So, and this is, and this to me is a good analogy for hoarding mm. because it's chaotic, man. Yeah. It, it's not like you didn't start with here's chapter one and now right. here's chapter two right. and now here's chapter three up to chapter 12. And now I have a book published. No, it was about, I need to sit down and take action. I need to write. Yeah, it, it was, yeah, it was taking action. And it, after a thousand pages worth of work, yeah, you were able to curate 280 pages mm-hmm. and come up with a beautiful book, a right. beautiful novel. And it's the same thing with hoarding. If you don't know where to start and you're like, you're the extreme hoarder where like, you know, you've barely got the aisles going through the dining room. It, look to your left right now and just grab whatever you're looking at. Yeah. You won't remember that. It's yes. Gone. And start getting rid of it. There's yeah. not a bad place to start. Okay. Our next question is from Jocelyn. How do you stop the process from starting again? I've decluttered loads of times to find myself in the same position a month later. Well, here, here's my, my pithy answer for you, Jocelyn. We'll, we'll end with, with these pithy ones here. Once you finally reach the horizon, there's always a new horizon. And if I were to just append that slightly, I would just say that 
Yeah, you're going to continue to declutter. You don't get there. You you don't reach the enlightened, decluttered state unless you're an ascetic and you just live with nothing. And so you're going to bring new things in your life. You're going to have to let go of new things in the future. So you'll always be getting there. Uh, my short answer would be temporary habits are almost as bad as no habits at all. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's so unfortunate. People do this with diets. They do this with habits where they're like, oh, I'm just going to do this for a certain amount of time until I feel like I'm back on track. Well, as soon as you stop that habit, you're right off a of track with your diet. Oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, you know, go on this slim fast diet for 30 days so I can lose uh, 10 pounds and you lose 10 pounds. Great. And you go back to your normal diet. Then guess what? A month later, you're going to be 10 pounds heavier. Yeah. So uh, I would just encourage you, Jocelyn, to, instead of looking uh, as, as decluttering as a, um, temporary habit you've got to you've got to incorporate into incorporate that into your daily life yeah it's got to be part of your lifestyle mm-hmm. all right now it's time for our added value portion of the show this is where we each recommend something that has added value to our lives recently and ryan is looking up at the ceiling which tells me that he can't got nothing i'm trying to i'm like computing computing <laughs> computing I don't know how you don't have a notepad just full of hundreds of things that are I adding value to your life i just don't um it's not actually I, I do I do have an added value. I, I don't dude, you can listen to a, you know the last time I listened to a Joe Rogan podcast when I, I don't I couldn't tell you man because yeah. it's like it's a three hour commitment for me right We're like you can listen to it on like one and a half speed and that's gonna make it like two hours or something. yeah um, this is a math podcast Ryan that's one and a half hours. <laughs> no, it's not if it's it was, a three hour podcast and now listen. If you listen to a three-hour podcast Uh and you listen to it at twice the speed, it would be a a one-and-a-half-hour podcast. That's what I listen to it at. Oh, at twice the speed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I said one-and-a-half times the speed. Oh, my bad. Anyway. (laughs) Sean, check our math. (laughs) But anyway, my point is is that you can consume information uh, faster than I can. Um, But yeah, it's uh, I do not consume information like that. And honestly, like I would rather go mountain biking than walk around the city and listen to a podcast. No, I, I totally get that. Yeah. But there, there are plenty of things that you do watch, read, listen to that. I guess I just don't consume as much as you, Josh. What's your, <laughs> what's your recommendation? <laughs> <laughs> I recommend consuming more <laughs> next. Actually, I have three recommendations. <laughs> In fact, I had four, but I removed one of them. I have an album, a thing, and a TV show. Perfect. Go. Uh, uh, So the album is Peter Bradley Adams. Do you know Peter Bradley Adams? I've heard of them. He's one of those artists that, you know how when you listen to artists and you you hear their new album and you're like, ah, I just really miss the old, you know, whatever, Matt Carney or the old Drake or the old whatever, uh, the old Jay-Z. Peter Bradley Adams is the guy you'll never say that about because every single one of his albums sounds just like the previous album. <laughs> you know the only other band I could think of like that's like that for me is Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've never heard a Nickelback album, and I know they get a lot of like... Dude, if you've heard one Nickelback song, you've heard all of their albums. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah well, this is the opposite of Nickelback. It's Peter Bradley Adams is like really soft singer-songwriter, like piano-y music. And it's gorgeous. So if you love any of his albums, you'll love uh, whatever the new one is. The new one is called A Face Like Mine, and uh, we'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. The TV show I'm going to recommend is probably the best TV show on, on television right now, and it's called Better Call Saul. 
You know about this this TV show, dude? I see. I haven't watched Breaking Bad yet. Oh, you got to watch Breaking Bad first, right? That's, and that's I'm on season thing. one, and that's yeah. something else. I'm not like I watched season one. I could continue to watch it, but I'm like, shit. This is like taking up my all my free time trying to catch up on this. I, I think I just I think at this point I've just like I have let go uh-huh. of Breaking Bad. And better call Saul. Yeah, like I have let go of the 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 pressure of me to like get caught up on this. But I, I actually, hear it is just absolutely outstanding. What better call Saul? Yes, I don't I don't know if you like it, man. Um, it's, it's too boring. It's kind of boring, <laughs> but like the details are so immaculate. I mean, just the angles, the lighting, the atmospherics, the character development, everything about it is just gorgeously shot. Plus, it's a new does it map. have nudity? Uh, I saw a guy take a shirt off once. Then I'd probably love it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, you know it's it, it it's a masterpiece of a show. It's I think it, it's doing what Bre- Breaking Bad tried to do. I think it's mm. a better show than Breaking Bad. Wow! It's also a prequel to Breaking Bad. Right. So it's it's even better because you know exactly what's going to happen. It's a freaking prequel. You've already seen the sequel beforehand. And you still know what's going to happen, and still you you can't wait to tune into this thing. Awesome. And so uh, Better Call Saul is, you know, I try to do uh, one to two hours of, of some sort of show per week. Usually I'll do one by myself, and, then, and Bex and I will do one together. Um, and, and so I'm doing this one by myself right now because she also hadn't seen Breaking Bad. And then uh, the thing I'm going to recommend, uh, speaking of OCD. Fidget spinner. No, well, that's another OCD <laughs> thing, right? I was going to say, speaking of OCD, is and you know this about me because we've lived together for a brief period of time in the past. Is I'm going to recommend a shower squeegee. If you want one item that will help you not have to deal with soap scum and cleaning up your freaking shower and your it's tub. It's so funny, dude. You're absolutely every weekend. You are the one that got me hooked on the squeegee. Uh huh. Actually, I would say living with you helped me to be a tidier person because, <laughs> well, you know, it's funny going back to. Uh, living with a hoarder yeah. or living with someone who's really messy. Mm-hmm. So like I would be that really messy person. You yeah, you would... have you have four socks, but they'd be strewn all over the house. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, only, the only four socks I own though. <laughs> no, but it's like um, I went out of my way to, you know, not just tolerate yeah. and accept you, but like to respect and appreciate living with you. No, I was just talking you. to Bex about this, about how you were really the... It, you were see- seemingly the not ideal roommate because I figured we'd kill each other in the process, right? I'm never ever going to move in with you. And then, of course, we moved in that cabin in the middle of nowhere together. And I'll tell you that you were really the ideal roommate, but it wasn't because, like, you and I have the same exact uh, personalities. Like, no, I'm extra early to things and you stroll in. You're getting five up. Minutes I'm, I'm coming home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there were times where I'd get up at 3 a.m. and I'm like, man, you're up really early. I'm and like, you're yes, like, up early. <laughs> you're just getting home <laughs> at 3 a.m. Um, driving through blizzards to get back to the mountain house. Oh, um, anyway, um, good times. We, uh, but you were the ideal roommate because you really did appreciate sort of my boundaries and and my lifestyle and and my preferences you you appreciate and respected my, my preferences and, yeah, I dude, and not once did you ever like you never like bitched about anything like you never ryan your socks are strewn all over the house or right. whatever man be, be, um, because generally a they weren't because you were respectful but even if they were they, i remember a couple of times i went to bed with like like just like would lay down and pass out on my bed yeah. and like I'd wake up and my shoes would be off and there'd be a blanket <laughs> over me. 
Ah, <laughs> like uh, the good old days. <laughs> yeah, so um, a squeegee. Take the 15 seconds after you're done showering to squeegee out your shower. It really does help. It makes it, all the difference in the world. It really, and there's never soap scum that builds up. You don't, you don't even really have to deal with cleaning it that much because you're cleaning it each time you do that. And so that's the thing. I, in fact, it really you know does what? help. Like it's, or when you do go to clean the shower, what I've noticed is mm-hmm. like instead of getting out the whatever the magic eraser thing, you know, and like scrubbing everything down. It's like, you really can just take a rag and kind of like spray it, wipe it down. And it's, it's like that, that two minutes of squeegeeing, not even that, like the 60 seconds of squeegeeing. It doesn't even take me that anymore, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a ninja when it comes to squeegeeing. <laughs> it will save you like the 30 minutes that it usually takes to scrub out your shower and tub. Yeah. It takes about 12 to 14 seconds, you know, cause I got the OCD. So I'm counting it as I'm doing it. <laughs> you got a stopwatch. And, and anyway, like, um, Bex, time me go. Uh, well, I, I found, uh, so I've used a bunch of different squeegee sean i'll see if i can find it i i oh i need a better squeegee. i have a pretty cheap squeegee i'll send you a link to the one i use uh and uh, i'll send it to you sean too if you want to put it in the show notes it's probably i don't know seven or ten bucks or something from amazon but uh it works really well and so i'll i'll put a link to that as well ryan do you have anything that's added value to your life recently no dude you had one album one thing Mm -hmm. and something else a tv show better call Saul. oh oh you just Okay, never mind. Yeah, I had album, thing, TV show. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stuck in a loop right now. All right, y'all, let's move on to right no, here, right now. No, wait, oh, no. Wait. <laughs> you have something? Yes. Okay. I think you've actually recommended this last year. <laughs> You're like, uh, squeegee. <laughs> Josh, have you ever heard of the show Better Call Saul? <laughs> a friend recommended it to me. No, um, I just downloaded the audio version of how to be here by Rob Bell. Yeah. So Rob's going to be, Rob's a friend of ours. He, he's going to uh, be at our Los Angeles event, which is sold out. Sorry. Sorry to say folks. Um, but he'll be at our Los Angeles event. He'll be on stage with us. He'll actually be our first official podcast guest because we were the first guest on his podcast, which is called the Rob Cast. Mm-hmm. I wish I had a cool name that it would go with cast. So I could say the Josh cast. That's that doesn't work. <laughs> Uh, anyway, we were the first guest on the Robcast a few years ago, and he, uh, uh, yeah, his book, man, his book, uh, How to Be Here, I, it's the reason, you know, so it's the reason Bex left her job. If she read that book and said, "It's so good, dude," it is really and it's good. short. Like it's not even like even on the audio, it's like three and a half hours long or so. I mean, it's really really short, and it's so impactful. And he just does like this beautiful job of of uh, having a subject for each chapter, starts it off with a nice quote, gives a personal example, gives someone else's example, and then he moves on to the next thing. But it, like it's all relatable. And you know, if anything, it's like this amazing reinforcement of things that I've already you know, kind of instilled or like uh, maybe some philosophies that I have in my life. Um, he's just like way more articulate with it and, um, yeah, puts it in a very concise matter. What I really appreciate about Rob Bell, and it's not just how to be here, but dude, the level of honesty he has, uh, with his audience about his successes and failures like that. Um, it, it, it's what aspires me to like, you know, not get on this podcast and act like we're, we're the perfect minimalist and here's how you be a perfect minimalist. Right. And just pontificate. Right. Yeah. And I mean, because I've actually heard him talk about this before. You know, the stories that resonate with people aren't the ones where like, well, you, 
how did you guys get, you know, if someone comes and says, how did you guys get to, you know, 20 million, you know, whatever, and readers and listeners and viewers. And, and I'd whatever. be like, oh my God, we have 20 million readers and <laughs> listeners and viewers and whatever. <laughs> yeah. And so <laughs> you wouldn't say, well, you know, I just showed up and really started winning. And then there was more winning. And eventually I just kept winning so much that I was winning, winning, winning. It sounds like you're not winning enough. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that's not inspiring to people. What, no. What's inspiring is to know that like, yeah, it took some tribulations took some failures. It took some inciting incidents to, to realize that I needed to make some changes, take some actions. And I had to struggle through a lot of things. And so that's what we write about. It's what we talk about. And we also listen as well. And I think that's important. I think that's, that's what Rob Bell does really well. And also I've seen him talk live several times and I, he can talk for nine hours straight without any it's unbelievable. problems. It's, it's true. And you know, even gift. in that book, how to be here, he talks about how, he, how much he had to fail Mm-hmm. And like some of the examples that he gives about how he failed with public speaking, mm. I'm just like, oh my God, like I haven't failed that bad yet at public speaking. And like for, you know, for a second, I'm like, all right, I got to like embrace myself for like some of these things that he went through. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, he just does a really good job of, of uh, talking about how he got to that point where mm. he could speak for nine hours straight. Yeah. He's amazing. I have one more recommendation. Uh, I just ordered some coffee from Verve, V-E-R-V-E. Yeah. I got their... Guatemala. Have you been to their shop West? in in uh, that's in West Hollywood, right? Yeah, yeah. Have you? Have yeah, you been it's to in that Cali. One? I have not. I haven't. Um, I uh, I gave it a shot just to see what would happen, and I googled best the best coffee, the best coffee roaster, and Verve was like in the uh, top two or three. Oh wow! Yeah, and of course, like I went on Yelp, like you know, I just like looked at a lot of like more reviews and just what Google told me. Yeah. Um, but I was like, yeah, I was just wanting to try something new. So I got some Verve, um, and it's freaking awesome, man. It really is. Their, really, shop, really good. And their shop in West Hollywood is great. Their one in, in downtown LA is, is pretty great as well. All right, y'all, let's move on to right here, right now. This is where we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. And so we've been talking about it a little bit throughout this podcast, but let's give you some specific cities that we're going to. By the time this comes out, so this is coming out next week, Ryan, we will have already been in San Diego. What a great event that was. Oh, in wow, man. Do you remember? I can't, was... believe, I can't believe John Travolta showed up. <laughs> in San Diego? <laughs> I have no idea where that came from. Uh, it's a sold-out event right now before we're recording this, but we have uh, uh, Rayleigh Nicole is opening up for us, and so we'll record the, the podcast. And also, Lewis Howells will be at the event with us, our friend Lewis Howells. He's the author of uh, The School of Greatness. He runs the School of Greatness podcast, so he'll be on stage with us. Uh, sold-out event in Los Angeles as well. But then there's by the time this comes out, there will be a few tickets left, maybe. I checked yesterday. There were nine tickets left in San Francisco, Ryan. Dude, there's so, no, they're not going to be available. Yeah, they, they, they probably will. You, you can check. If you want to go on their website, just lessisnow.com. But then we're headed back into our neck of the woods. Oh, by the way, San Francisco, you know who's going to be with us? Uh, just confirmed. Rich Roll will be with us. Really? He's coming up from L.A. Nice. Uh, because Rob, Rob... Dude, we've got some awesome guests lined up oh for our Cali gosh, stops. Oh, my man. Yeah. And so, oh, in L.A., I can't believe I, I totally forgot this. One Run of my River favorite, North. Yeah, Run River North. One of my favorite bands in the world. Uh, LA-based band. They're on tour, but they're going to be back for like a week, and it's that week we're going to be in LA. What's their, what's their band, uh, or what's their album that they came out with last year, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's not the self-titled one. It's I think it's called Superstition. I always forget, but uh, uh, you can check them out. We'll put a link to, to Run River Nor- North in the in the show notes as well. Their, their music is just outstanding. It's, it's had, really good. They had an EP come out recently as well. It's, Unique it's music, really too. Like, I, 
because like a lot of the bands, I can be like, oh, like that, this band kind of sounds like that band, or you know, this person kind of sounds like that person. Like right. One River North, like they're they're pretty unique, and it's it's amazing stuff. And they're gonna do an acoustic set for us. It, it, it's gonna be killer. It's a six person band, so I'm really interested to see how how that pans out. Um, wow. on, on on stage at, so, at the at the Belasco Theater. Yeah, so if you're gonna come to our LA event, get there at six thirty to listen to Run River North. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Get there early, and by the way, get to any of our events early because we're we'll quite often not at every event. We'll have special guests. We'll have music at a few of them, uh, and and we'll have different things. We also have a great playlist. If if for whatever reason we don't have uh, music opening up, we have a really killer pre-show playlist that is playing, and uh, a lot of the events are general mission as well. So if you show up early, you can get the best seats in the house um, and then in san francisco i'm really happy we're, we're playing or i say playing we're talking we're we're, we're going to be at the fillmore and and it's just this iconic theater and i'm it's it's great to be able to to go to a place like that and rich roll will be with us and then we're headed to the midwest right after that uh, back to our old stomping grounds indiana and ohio we're going to be in indianapolis i've seen so many concerts at at um, the Egyptian uh, Room? Yeah, the Egyptian Room. Yep. And I've seen uh, Ray LaMontagne there and, and a few other people. And uh, we, we get to be there. But, man, one of our favorite artists in the world, Andrew Bell, is Dude. going to open up for us. Well, it's funny because like, um, Mariah is going to be in Ohio for like the two days that we have off before we, we um, have our event in uh-huh. Indianapolis. And I was like you know, debating like when, you know, when do I send her back home? You know, like, you know, she doesn't want to come and watch us talk four times. Long story short, like because of Andrew Bell, I was just like, you know what? You're just going to come with us on the whole, on every single <laughs> stop. <laughs> and she was like totally willing. Cause like, yeah, it's one of her favorite artists too. But yeah, he is d- d- the, uh, is it Bl- black bears? The album. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Black Bear is one of my favorite albums of all time. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah. Top three all time favorite albums. Yeah. It's, for me, it's for so sure. good. And he has a new album come out this year called dive deep. And, uh, he has a couple singles that are already out and his first album, the latter is, is truly amazing. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, Andrew Bell will be there performing a set. Uh, just feel honored about that. And then we'll, we have three stops back in our home state, Ohio. We're going to play at Bogart's, uh, do a live version of the podcast. We're going to play at Bogart's. Yeah. We're yeah. not playing a book. I mean, we might have a game of tag or something on stage. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> We should do it. Uh, someone, someone from uh, New York Magazine is going to be at the Cincinnati event. They wanted to come and see the Heartland, and so I said, cool. "Come on out to, to Cincinnati." Uh, and then we'll be in Columbus and Cleveland uh, the following two nights. Uh, those are all this month. So we're doing California, Indiana, and Ohio all in June. Then we're taking a couple month break. For, and then we have the second leg of the Less Is Now tour. We'll be in Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton. So that's six stops up in uh, up in Canada. And from there, we're hitting the East Coast, Philadelphia, Manhattan, Brooklyn, and then the Mountain States, Salt Lake City, Denver, and Phoenix. I uh, just got word on this last week. Joshua Becker will be at our Phoenix stop. Nice. Yeah. And I'm waiting to hear back from Courtney Carver about Salt Lake City stop. And also, you know who else I'm waiting to hear back from is is Isaac Russell, Ruru, about uh, the Salt Lake City stop. Oh, another, man. Another one of our favorite musicians. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, and so he might be there. We'll, we'll figure that out. And then, uh, let's see. Oh, we're headed down to Texas, Austin, Dallas, and Houston. And then uh, Nashville, Washington, D.C. Uh, like I said, Cal Newport will be with us in Washington, D.C. Oh, but Nashville, 
Griffin House is going to be with us in Nashville. Oh, he's opening up for us. It's yeah, great, he's going to open up, and uh, uh, yeah, we're, we might we might even have a conversation with him on stage. He's like, man, I, I've got a lot of stories about minimalism in my life. I I'm would like, love really? to have him on as a guest. Like he's for the he's from our, our neck the... of the woods. He's from Springfield, Ohio, and uh, he lives in Nashville now. Very talented musician. Certainly one of our favorite musicians. He uh, is probably the most down to earth musician I've ever met in person. Mm. Like. Yeah, it's really easy to have a conversation with him, and he will give you his undivided attention. Yeah, like, he, he will. And I, I can tell you, I, I worked his merch booth once in Muncie, Indiana. <laughs> uh, I remember that. You and Carrie worked there, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. We went out there, and, and man, this was 10 years ago, longer than that maybe, 10, 11, 12 years ago, and worked his, his merch booth in Muncie, Indiana. And now he's, you know, a, a decade later opening up one of our shows. It's, it's just really cool to see that. Uh, certainly one of my favorite musicians, Griffin House. And then, uh, what I say? Washington, D.C., Atlanta. Oh, my goodness. Dude. Atlanta. I, I don't even know. I just, I kind of <laughs> don't even want to, like, tell people who's going to be there. Yeah. But well, that's. No, we got. Let's we, just say there's a special guest. No, dude. No. Let's tell him. Okay. So, because this, is, I, I, I bet you we, this ticket or <laughs> this ticket, this city will sell out of tickets. Mm. faster than like most of these other cities you've been naming if we name the guest yeah so jp sears is going to be our our guest if you haven't seen jp sears just google or go to youtube and look up jp sears minimalism (laughs) he's so put it put a link to that one sean in the show notes as well he he does um his his whole thing is satire yeah but it's it's like liberals making fun of liberals essentially and it's um he does this whole video on like uh um if meat eaters acted like vegans Mm. and like one of my favorite lines in that whole thing is where like he's looking at his friend who's eating you know like a salad and he's like that's my food's food <laughs> i don't appreciate that. i don't appreciate you eating my food's food oh my god he's just he and he does such a good job it's uh it's like making fun of it in a way um like minimalism he's you know for all intents and purposes he's making fun of us and i want him to keep going like yeah, it's yeah, yeah. so great so basically we're gonna bring him on stage to make fun of us for 90 yeah. minutes or whatever yes, pretty much yeah so so tune in for that and then we're headed back down to florida uh tampa area we'll be in tampa actually we have a coffee shop down there as well so uh, we may even do a guest barista thing while we're down there. Oh, we should totally do that. Dude. Yeah, I think that'll be fun. We'll, we'll work like out the, the details. On the 20th after we, yeah. Yeah, so uh, we'll be in Tampa. That one is getting ready to sell out, actually. Uh, Tampa's about to sell out. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, Toronto might already be sold out. And then there was one other one that was really, really close. No, the New York ones were close. Oh, Denver was really close. So just a heads up. And the last two stops are uh, Detroit and Milwaukee. I am so happy we're going to Detroit. We, we have not. We have yet to do a stop in Detroit. We've never done a tour stop in Detroit. It's our first tour, tour stop in Detroit. Yeah, and uh, it's a big theater, and it's going to be fun. And I think Colin Wright is going to join us for cool. the last two stops awesome. of the year, uh, maybe. That'd be and great. So, so that would be fun. Anyway, oh, and I'm trying to get Seth uh, and his band in Tampa uh, to show oh, up. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Brother Cephas, right? Yeah, Brother Cephas. Yeah. And uh, and so we're we're trying to get them to open up that show as well. That'd be great. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, if you want to get some tickets, lessisnow.com. You can find all the dates, all the theaters, all the cities over there. Dude, I'm so excited for the rest of this tour. Yeah, it's it's going to be great. I'm so glad I get to be there. I have a ticket to every single show. (laughs) 
<laughs> I make Ryan buy his own ticket. <laughs> <laughs> it's a VIP ticket. I like to support the cause. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, speaking of supporting the cause, we refuse to clutter our podcast with advertisements. And so if you want to support the minimalist podcast, Ryan and I are trying to build a new podcasting studio, also a film studio, so we could do a video version of this podcast. We also want to do a lot more video work. We want to do some meaningful essays, meaningful video content, video essays, live streams, interviews, and all kinds of video stuff. And we need your help. So if you support us, we'd really appreciate some support on Patreon. Just go to theminimalists.com and, and click on donate at the top there. Or you can head over to our Patreon page directly. It's just patreon.com slash theminimalists. We have only about 500 patrons right now. It's a, it's a good start, but we need to get to 5,000 before we can do the film studio. And we really need your help for that because you know what? I would hate to start jamming ads into this. We could even do an advertisement suck segment and then just have a bunch of advertising on here but here's the thing if you don't want advertisements on here because they are shitty and we don't like advertisements then you have to be willing to support us in, in one way or another yeah right? the, other, the other thing too is like do you want to see josh and i you know uh do some more video stuff do you want to see uh i mean i don't you know minimalism a documentary about the important things part two is not in the works but uh having resources to do things like that uh, many documentaries even yeah like for youtube and yeah, stuff like that we would love to do that for you guys if it's something you want then yeah uh please contribute if you don't want that stuff then don't and that's okay um but yeah josh and i would like to to basically invest our time and attention in, into expanding some of this stuff and yeah we could certainly use your help yeah and here's the other thing i'll say if you want to keep hearing this podcast then please support it in some some form or fashion if you can't afford to to support it financially you can always leave us a review by the way last month i, I tallied up everything so last month back in may 2017 we did uh for every review that we received on apple podcasts we uh, donated 10 bucks to the against malaria foundation we had 740 something reviews total i just rounded it up to, to, to 750 so that's $7,500 to the Against Malaria Foundation. Thank you all for, to everyone who supported us. You saved the, two people's lives. That is freaking awesome. Yeah, it's really great. And, and we're, we're grateful for that. It also helps spread the word so you can still leave a review. We're not going to keep donating 10 bucks every time, but you're welcome to, to contribute in that way as well if you can't afford to contribute monetarily. All right, Ryan, you got anything else? Yeah, man, I've got some shiny voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hi guys, my name is Pam. I'm from Dallas, Oregon, and I have a comment for Ryan, who keeps talking about how much he has to get in order to be a fly fisherman. All you need is a pole and a container of flies and your license. That doesn't take much. A lot of people do go overboard, kind of like folks at Ikea when they go out and buy. But that's not necessary. You can have as much or as little gear as you need. I'm a very successful fly fisherman. Hi, I am calling from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> but Melissa from your Vermont show had asked a question during the lightning round. It's actually something that's been on my mind quite a bit lately about how to receive gifts when you don't really need or want them. Uh, I manage a small nonprofit organization, and we have very limited storage space, and people are constantly donating things to us that we really do not need, do not want, or don't even have the space to keep. But how do you say no to somebody who wants to donate to a nonprofit company? 
And being a Midwesterner, I really don't like to be rude, so I usually just accept the gift, smile, and say thank you. But then I'm stuck with this thing, which sometimes ends up in my own home, which, by the way, I've made delightfully minimal. (laughs) Obviously, I try to stop this before it starts by letting people know ahead of time if there are things we specifically need at that time, or better yet, if they could just donate money, which we always need. But if someone does just happen to bring us an item, I really don't feel there's a need to make them feel bad about it by sending them away or saying thanks but no thanks. So typically what I'll do with anything we receive that we can't use or store, I will find another charity locally that might need it. Or once a year or so, we have kind of a garage sale of sorts, and we get rid of things that we have that we don't need, and then we make a little um, extra much-needed money. So I guess to sum that up, I would say you can definitely accept unwanted or unneeded gifts with grace and then just find a new home for them. But if possible, uh, stop it ahead of time by letting people know your needs and wants. Hello, I was at the Spokane, Washington stop on your Less Is Now tour last night. My response is to the woman last night who shared with the audience that she holds on to sentimental medical paperwork. My heart went out to you when everyone laughed after you shared that. I'm not saying people shouldn't have laughed. That's just a reaction that happened. But I want you to know how brave you were for sharing one of your sentimental items with strangers. We all have different sentimental items that we keep. And I hope you didn't feel embarrassed or ashamed because of the way the audience reacted. We have no idea why you are holding on to those medical records or what other paperwork you are keeping, but hopefully we all can relate to the fact that holding on to stuff is what we do, and we were there last night because we want to try and change that. My advice to you is to sit down and go through your paperwork literally piece by piece. Try taking a small chunk into a different place in your house and sorting through it there. This way you'll be separated from the rest of your paperwork and it will give you room to focus on the small stack you have in front of you. It will be a long process, but set goals and once you start letting go, it will become easier. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalists, give us a call, 406-219-7839. And uh, you can also leave us a voicemail. You can just keep it here, Sean. (laughs) You can leave us a voice memo. Uh, at podcast at theminimalists.com. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing That's just feeding your greed Oh I bet that you'd be fine Without it Every little thing That you gotta have Every little thing That you gotta have You gotta reach for And you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it So tear your eyes away Or tear 